843. Well, nah, good morning. <laughs> good morning. <laughs> My mind is a rambling about, Josh. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning. To Wake Up Carolina. Already Wednesday morning, jumping December in. the 6th, 843-661-0937. I was thinking about the phone. We got the phone guy here, um, the Spectrum guy. And I want to I want to kind of uh, give credit where credit's due, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I complain when things don't go well. This guy that is, um, this guy from Spectrum that is trying to get us back, um, fat and happy, so to speak, has done a, a very, a very admirable job in detecting the problems, pursuing solutions and doing it around, uh, the show. In other words, I get here early, early this morning. There's already a spectrum truck sitting in the parking lot. You got a few minutes for me to get things. So I said, man, you do what you got to do. I don't know anything. I mean, it kind of assumed that I knew more than I did. Well, with this kind of played out on the air last week because we had phone calls drop and we were interviewing Drew McKissick. As a matter of fact, we had Drew's call on the air and we had several on hold and all of them went away. And it has happened eh, pretty consistently over the last little while. So I think I said on the air, as soon as we get off at 10 o'clock, I'm calling. So I called Spectrum. Uh, to their credit, again, they had a technician here. Not not that we're special, just happened to work out, but they had a technician here within about 35 minutes of my call. There was somebody available to come over here and do an, an assessment. And he said, yeah, we're seeing, a, a, a I guess, a signal issue, and we're going to have to turn it over to maintenance. So he left, and then the next morning when I came in, there was the overnight technician who was here working on the signal issue outside. So we talked to him. Uh, he had discovered that issue, addressed it, and I brought him inside, and he looked at our in- in equipment in the building and said, hey, there's some other things we can do uh, to help make your system more robust and and uh, and hopefully keep, keep all your services up and running. So this morning was the follow-up to that. Uh, he came, obviously, early this morning, and I think we're in better shape than we've been in a while. He's been a superstar. Yes, as sir. As far as I'm concerned. So, so kudos. Yeah. Are, are well, uh, well, I mean, well you, deserved. You, you kick a dog when they're down. You kind of you applaud them when they when they choose to yep. get up. And um, and these um, I can't speak for the conversations you had, but the maintenance man that takes care of things after hours has been a superstar. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. We'll we'll do an abbreviated um, sports section this morning because the NCAA passed down. Um, yesterday, a recommendation. I don't know if you saw this or not. I, I did. Um, I thought interesting and interesting timing. Well, I mean, when you lose in court as badly as they did and you see the game that you need to be in control of, you know, c- kind of leaving your control or, or the, the influence you have on college football, you got to seek relevancy. I mean, you know, when they're beginning to seek more and more relevancy, they've offered a proposal that, that is better than the former construct, but not as good as it needs to be. Um, the problem in giving the university autonomy and who gets what is Title IX becomes a big issue. And in the proposal from the NCAA, from what I read, now once again, there'll be some negotiating, there'll be some striking of things and adding of things, and there'll be some addendums in committees and whatnot. Um, But from what I read yesterday, they're going to propose to give $30,000 per student athlete and they're going to be staged and incremented and whatnot. But anyway, um, that flies in the face of what I think is best. Here's what needs to happen, guys. Trust me here, because I've been involved in this. I mean, more than you know. I've been intimately involved in in some of this, at, you, you know, not not with Clemson and Carolina, but with Carolina, and the same rules apply to Clemson. Here's what needs to happen. You ready? The General Assembly. You're listening to Lowe, Rick, and Ba and Jordan. The General Assembly need to pass a law, a statute, 
saying that Clemson, Carolina, and any other university in the state that chooses to participate in NIL space can use a percentage of their television revenue to subsidize the collective. The television revenue is the key here because if you start saying the university can give kids $30,000, somebody's going to challenge and say, how do I know that's not taxpayer dollars? Taxpayer money, right. I mean, is it tuition collected from parents? Is it taxpayer dollars? Well, if we say clearly and precisely it's television revenue, we know that's not taxpayer dollars. So the University of Clemson or Clemson University gets a check from the ACC for X number of dollars. I don't know if they get it quarterly, annually, monthly. I don't have any idea how those um, disbursements are made. But Clemson gets money from the ACC. The Gamecocks get money from the SEC. We know that's not taxpayer dollars. So the University of South Carolina and Clemson can choose, air quotes, verse of the morning, choose to use a certain percentage of television revenue to subsidize their collective. That way, the taxpayer's not not at risk, and Title IX doesn't get intimately involved. Because I can tell you, if you start letting the university run the collectives, they're going to have to abide by some of the Title IX's, and you got a starting quarterback and a backup gymnast making the same thing. And that's just not the free market. That flies in the face of what Gorsuch and, or Gorsuch and Kavanaugh said in relation to the, um, the Austin case against the NCAA. You know, you, you, can't, you can't just not allow someone to, to capitalize on whatever their name, image, and likeness is worth or whatever their skill to play football is worth. So the NCAA has agreed that the, um, the days of doing the things we formerly did are done. I mean, that's out. We, we're not going to be able to make kids. Well, I mean, we're not going to be allowed. And some of the former language rabbit said, you know, athletic competitions, uh, uncompensated, non-compensated. There you go. Non-compensated athletic performance as part of the student learning experience. I mean, that's in some of the, um, some of the bylaws of the former model. We ain't going back to that. I mean, the kid as, as I mean, the kid went from having no leverage to all the leverage you can imagine. Um, having no leverage was terrible. Having all the leverage is terrible. And I'm hoping we can find some place of equilibrium that's fair to the school, fair to the fans, fair to the fair to the kid. And I believe the best way to do that is to collect, keep the collective separate of the university, allow the university to collect television revenue, and give the collective whatever they choose to. I'll give an example. This would be, I mean, I would be in support of this. Let's say Garnet Trust or the, the Clemson Collective, of which I can't think the name. And the reason I'm using Garnet Trust, I think they had a big day yesterday and the day before signing some of these kids to deals uh, to keep them on campus at Carolina. That's what I read. Yeah. So, so the university, now, now right now Garnet Trust is collecting their own money. In other words, they're going to the heavy hitters and they're saying, look, I know you gave X number of dollars to the, um, to the law school. I know you gave X number of dollars to the business school, but we need to give X number of dollars to the collective so we can be somewhat competitive in football. Uh, and I've said this and I'll say it again. Having a good collective doesn't make you competitive in football. Not having one assures that you won't. I mean, you know, I don't know how having a collective makes you better. I, I think that's, I mean, it, well, nobody knows the answer to that because you're still you, d- you decided to pay kids a certain amount of money to play football, and you don't know if the money, uh, we talked about Spencer and Juice, you know, being a Gamecock fan. One kind of, okay, the other was, you know, spectacular in meeting his obligations. But but once again, 
if you don't have a collective Clemson and Carolina and Coastal, and I mean this sincerely, if you don't have an effective collective, you're not going to win games. I mean, I understand development of players and culture and, you know, the tradition of a program. If you don't have an NIL that has the ability to take care of players, you're not going to win, period. But if you give the university full autonomy of the ability to play players, you get into collective bargaining, you're going to get into overtime payment. Is the is the student athlete an employee of the university or not? The collective gives you a layer of insulation. So the University of South Carolina Clemson get their television revenue checks. They decide what to give their collectives, and there's kind of a bartering and bargaining back and forth. Um, it would stand to reason to me, Rev, whatever the collective raises on its own, the university matches dollar for dollar. Let's say the collective at Clemson raises $2 million. I mean, they get out and they, they, they hound their tiger base and they find some of these um, people that haven't been as altruistic to Clemson as you would like them to be or as giving to Clemson, and, um, and they raise about $2 million. Uh, the television check comes in and uh, the Clemson University gives them another $2 million. Now you got $4 million to go try and keep a football team in place. And from what I'm gathering, that's kind of the number, somewhere between three and five. Now, in all honesty, the coach at Ohio State says I need 10 or 12. He may get that. I don't know. Um, the coach at Texas says I need 10 or 12. Uh, what have we said? You're not going to keep up with Texas, Texas A&M. You know, a handful of schools in America are going to have the upper hand because they have enormous fan base, excuse me, enormous alumni that have made a lot of money. I mean, that's just the way it is. Um, they're always going to be the haves and have not. So the NCAA agreed yesterday that our days are numbered. I mean, the former model is not going to work. It, 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 we should have been ashamed that we didn't give any more than we did over the last 25 or 30 years. So there's this new era. And, and the problem with me, to, what, what I read yesterday in the Wall Street Journal and Yahoo Sports was, the. It, it looks to me, here. here's the deal. It looks to me the NCAA and universities are saying, hey, this thing's gotten away from us. Is there any way we can get back in control? And they're offering up this $30,000 per student athlete well, I mean, do you really believe, capitalist to you, do you really believe the starting quarterback at Clemson is worth what the backup gymnast at the University of South Carolina is worth? Of course not. I mean, anybody that knows anything about the free market accepts that some people make more than others, uh, and there's a reason they do. They're more, I hate to say this, not from a humanistic perspective, but from a, a point of capitalism, they're worth more uh, than the others. So anyway, that's um, I'll leave it there. Um, I'm going to really and truly try to convince Jay Phillip and Mike that this is something worth pursuing. Um, they're all Gamecock fans, but there's as many Clemson uh, legislators as there are Gamecock legislators, and um, and maybe they can get a deal when they get back in session. Need to pre-file some legislation. Need to get some uh, some of some of the whereas and here and twos in. Uh, you can't have it with a bunch of whereas and here and twos. I mean, you tell some of the legislative. Um, bill riders, what you need in there, they've got to add some whereas and hearing twos. Yeah. So if we get some whereas and hearing twos on some of the language that I think is uh is most appropriate. And once again, I think the answer is the television revenue goes to the collective from the university, and it's not subjected to Title Nine, and and there are no taxpayer dollars at risk here. Um, you know, a fair question. I may put this on Facebook today. Josh, you may be able to do this with our poll question. What does the average fan believe players are worth? I mean, what should, I mean, if I'm talking about a place of equilibrium, right? I mean, the, um, 
the former model took advantage of the kids. The some kids, people still believe they're worth the scholarship and the education. That's absurd. I mean, that, that's, but I've heard that argument. Well, I've heard that. They're dumb. I mean, that's dumb. That, that's not accepting reality. Um, the value of the scholarship may have been a, um, a proportional reward when the coach made $400,000 a year and the assistants made $70,000 and went and got a part-time job. Okay, fair enough. You know, but, but all of a sudden, millions became hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions became billions, and the, and the value of the scholarship, that would be like, I'll tell you what it would be an example, Rev. Um, let's use Springsteen as an example. It would be like Springsteen having a concert in Madison Square Garden and the people that set the stage up make more than Bruce did. <laughs> I mean, the absurdity right. of that. I mean, you can't. I mean, they, no, they, they are the performers. How many people go to Death Valley to watch the referees, the coaches, the band, uh, the, the, the volleyball team get awarded at halftime or recognized at halftime? No, you got to watch the football players play. They're the performers. The performers are always better paid than anybody else and should be, in all honesty. So for those, and I've, I've seen that out there, you know, that's just being stubborn or dumb. And I'd like to believe it's stubborn. I don't want to believe there are that many people just dumb. I think it's stubborn and just, you know, don't want to accept this reality. But but once again, there's so much money at play here or so much money in play here. And the student athletes, proportional slides. Would you agree to this? So you got a value of a scholarship. I mean, the scholarship's gotten more expensive, right? I mean, let's say the education is, you know, $150,000. Well, it ain't worth that, but I mean, let's say it is. Because all these um, football players major in basket weaving. Anyway, so what does the career in basket weaving look like if it doesn't work out for the NFL? So, um, so, you, uh, so there's a percentage or a proportion of the pie the player gets where the coach gets, you know, 350000 the assistants get 50000 and this television deal is a hundred thousand, so so uh, the, the that that slice of the pie you're telling me the cost of the scholarship has gone up with everything else or in proportion to everything else. No, that's absurd. It's um once again, I hope there are people out there more stubborn than dumb, because to believe that the kid getting a, a value of a scholarship and everybody else getting millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, that's just dumb. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. We'll take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Found an interesting story. I don't know how many of you find this. Um, we talked yesterday a little bit about, you know, the odds being stacked against us. What do we do if you believe in, in limited government, uh, you know, smaller government footprint, more personal liberties and freedoms. And, um, I mean, the majority of people who find themselves attracted to talk radio don't find themselves attracted to talk radio because they're, enamored with big government. I mean, I just don't believe that uh, for the life of me. One, one of the great struggles in my life right now, and I'm talking about career-wise, I've got struggles in my personal life and family life and anyway, spiritual life. I mean, join the club. I mean, it's never wrapped up tight with a bow on top. It's always a work in progress. But one of the issues I have today doing this radio show, aside of the fact that we're two weeks out from Christmas or two and a half weeks away from Christmas and your mind begins to wander off into this, you know, hey, well, I get a week off and the holiday season. There's something's happened at Fox News that I don't like. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Fox News was a place that I could go late in the afternoons, early in the evenings, and kind of, I don't know, um, get, get, you know, get, get kind of a uh, not red meat, but I could get the Tucker Carlson show. 
And it would, you know, it would it would make me think about, okay, here's what I believe about these two. Bill O'Reilly, Megan Kelly, I mean, they, they, you know, like them or not, they had the ability to kind of explain things and and and, and bring things to the front that you, okay, I, I, I see where I am now. I mean, I, I do this, I read, I study, I try to better understand. I do it a lot. I mean, I sit in my truck for two hours every day eating a sandwich and drinking a Diet Pepsi and, and I'm plundering the internet to find stories and I need affirmation. I need to, is, is this, I mean, this, this guy has this opinion of X. Um, and then, and then Tucker comes on, uh, Fox news at eight and it gives his opinion about the world around him in a very timely fashion. Bill O'Reilly did that. Megan Kelly, uh, not for a long period of time, but did that. There's nobody at Tucker that I find a, a guiding light. I mean, there's just not, but nobody at Fox, I'm sorry, nobody at Fox that I pay any attention to. And it makes this job a little harder. I don't have Limbaugh. To kind of set the uh, the course. I mean, Limbaugh is the North Star, and if you had these rambling thoughts in your head, and you want to be kind of, um, hey man, am I am I anywhere near Ground Zero? Am I anywhere near the stories that matter to the American people? And you could listen to Limbaugh and Rev often said, you know, we talked about a lot of the same things. Well, that was very encouraging mm-hmm. to me. It knew it made me believe that I was kind of um hitting some of the sweet spots in in, in what people were interested in in politics today. And I'll just say this, and Josh, I want to get your opinion. You're a younger guy. To me, Fox is a an entity or enterprise without a rudder in the water. I mean, there is nobody there that we pay keen and close attention to. I mean, Hannity does what Hannity does, but to me, that's a tired act. And to some, it's not. I get it. I mean, he's still a, a longstanding and successful radio slash television personality. And in all honesty, one of the things Hannity can say about his career that Limbaugh, Bill O'Reilly, and some others can't, he succeeded in both mediums. I mean, he's been That's wildly true. successful on television. He's been highly successful in radio. Limbaugh made a go of it in television. Uh, O'Reilly made a go in radio. Uh, um, you know, some of these other guys have tried different formats, and they've not been successful. Hannity has figured out the recipe for being successful in radio and successful in, in television. But Hannity doesn't say much that makes me scratch my head. I mean, Hannity says very little that I go, mm, okay, that's interesting. I never listened to Tucker that he didn't say something that I would go, mm, that's interesting. Bill O'Reilly, Rush Limbaugh, Megyn Kelly to some degree. And when I'm looking for, mm, that's kind of interesting, where do I get that now? There's just nowhere to get it. I mean, there's, with all due respect, the three people that are on the radio from 12 until 3, I mean, they're okay, but they're not Limbaugh. The person that Fox has in that lineup, you know, they're shuffling their lineup along and around, and Jesse Waters, I think, has the 8 o'clock time slot now. I mean, I don't find him interesting. I find him entertaining. I, he's entertaining. And he's humorous, but I don't find him interesting. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't say something that – I mean, I'll ask you this. You give him a little more benefit of the doubt than I, and I yeah. said he's entertaining, and he's a little bit funny – but I don't ever find him saying things that I go like, wow, okay, didn't think of that. Didn't see that coming. Uh, wonder wonder where he heard that from. And, and you know, the other people would do that. And Limbaugh obviously did that. So in this world of, of conservative media, it's it's a struggle now to get I – don't, I don't need affirmation, but, but I do need to confirm my suspicion as to whether I'm talking about something that is timely and interesting or not. And I don't have that right now. I mean, I just don't have that right now. And I plunder around the radio and television dial, trying to find 
another, ah, okay, that's interesting. And other than Elon Musk, I mean, in all honesty, uh, the person that says things about every other day that I find interesting and compelling is Elon Musk. What say you, Josh? Yeah, I I generally agree. I'll tell you this. Um, the, the, the young people, and especially people younger than me, are not watching Fox News. And even the ones that are somewhat politically minded or even very politically minded may have only kind of been into Tucker Carlson. So they're, he's definitely the best super mainstream guy around right now. But a lot of people, a lot of the younger people are kind of flocking to more niche political personalities that are primarily online. Is Joe Rogan a political personality? Uh, can, I'd say can no. Be, but can he, be. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a days, jack of all trades. Sure, there, there you go. But he's not. You don't go to the Rogan podcast knowing for sure that you're only going to get an hour, two hours of political commentary. Right. I mean, you may get none that day. You may you may have an hour long podcast about uh, who wins a fight between a gorilla or a you know a, a silverback <laughs> gorilla and a grizzly bear. <laughs> and there's a little beauty in that. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, people find that those sorts of conversations very interesting. So that would be an interesting point. Well, who is the most dominant conservative media voice in America today? Mm. I know Crowder is popular. Okay. Stephen Crowder. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. I mean, it's popular. Yeah. I mean, he, I get, he, say, he gets deplatformed from YouTube a lot, so I guess that says something. The something most, right. The <laughs> most still popular Tucker? would probably be Tucker. It's still Tucker. I think Tucker. Even even losing the the um the primetime slot on Fox News, I tend to agree with that. I think it's still Tucker. And I do think, Josh, you're right. Tucker is the bridge. We talk about on one end of the music spectrum, you got Alabama and then Garth Brooks, and they bridge country to pop and then you've got van halen on the other side of rock and roll and heavy metal i mean i think van halen i mean van halen's not a heavy metal band but they would have been acceptable to metal fans they would have been acceptable to rock and roll fans tucker is kind of the bridge from a little bit extremism a little bit uh, conspiracy theories but but also mainstream enough Uh, right i mean look at the guy's hair and bow tie he can't be fringe (laughs) conspiracy theorists not with that hair and that bow tie um, and now he's uncensored. Very uncensored. Come to find out, Fox was you know, had a pretty heavy hand on his content. And, and he talked a lot about that in a recent podcast. Um, I, I don't know who is the most prominent conservative media figure in America today. Um, it's not Bongino. I mean, he's prominent. It's not Clay Travis. He's prominent. It's not um, Jesse Waters. He's prominent. Uh, it's it's not Laura Ingram, not Sean Hannity. That's that's interesting. It's not the the four. Excuse me, Fox is not the force it once was. I think I think Josh is blatantly saying that. I mean, Fox is just not the dominant conservative media voice. Uh, and then you wonder uh, they're, they're a little bit anti-Trump. Well, yeah. I mean, they, they, you know, conservatism one hundred and one or conservative Inc. Well, it makes sense when you when you run into people that are anti-Fox, and they're typically not conservative people. They don't like Fox, but one of their things is, oh, it's just old white people watching that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they're probably right. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, and I would hate to know that long term, that was my business model. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. <clears throat> Struggling a bit this morning. Um, the coal is lingering. I mean, it's just lingering <laughs> around longer than, than I ever imagined it would. So, so let's go down this road, Josh, because you would be very helpful in, in determining this. 
So the or we believe, we suspect, we estimate that the the liberals have the majority of mainstream media in their pockets. And, yeah. and, and, and I'll prove it yesterday and the day before. It's almost like there was an email sent to every media voice in America to talk about threat to democracy and dictatorships. I mean, it was, I mean, it, it was almost like everybody at the synchronized media. You've seen the synchronized women in the Olympics. I mean, mm-hmm. I marvel at that. Like, wow, how long do you have to practice to do, how good a shape you have to be in to begin with, and then how long do you have to practice to do that that well? Well, I mean, the media is kind of like synchronized swimming in the Olympics. <laughs> and and, and true. Well, I mean, a couple of days ago, um, the, the polling is freaking the left out. I mean, they don't know what to do about this. They have done everything in their power to drive a wedge between Trump and his voters, and nothing has worked. In fact, every time, uh, to me, every time they sell their soul to drive, you know, a little more of, or sell a little more of their soul, I guess they got a little bit left, but every time they sell a little more of their soul and impugn their own integrity by lying, misleading, doing whatever it is they do to try and create a little bit of uh, concern amongst Trump voters and Republican primary voters, it, it intensifies Trump support. And that number is about 60. I mean, I still think it's 65%. I mean, I think two or three Republican voters are going to, uh, I mean, some will do it, turning cartwheels, going to the ballot box. Some will begrudgingly go in, but they're voting for the America first candidate. And nobody's convinced them that they're more America first than Donald Trump. So, so you've got of the, of the 60 some odd percent Republican primary voters who go in to vote for Donald Trump, they're going in with different degrees of, of excitement. I mean, that, that shouldn't surprise anybody. I mean, you know, you bite your lip and you vote for the Republican, you bite your lip and you vote for the Democrat. Um, you're not crazy about this candidate. You really like that one that came along, along before, but the media basically a couple of days ago saw some reporting and saw some polling and I mean, it, you know, well, I mean, let's go to, I mean, if we're at orange alert, let's go to red alert. And red alert means he won't leave the White House if you elect him. And I mean, you got people like Liz Cheney and Mitt Romney playing this game. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got Republicans playing this game with with Democrats. But that message was out there. I mean, they, they, if if you were interested in political news, it was not hard to find. You know those talking points. I mean, it was everywhere. It was on MSNBC. It was in the New York Times, CNN, Rolling Stone, Salon. I mean, it doesn't. Just the, the liberal media. And I know I'm speaking generically, but it's the liberal media. I mean, that's who they are. And they walk to the beat of the same drum. Trump is bad. What can we do to stop Trump from getting elected? And it was yesterday and the day before, um, Liz Cheney wrote this book about honor and oath and integrity and, and virtue because her family is known to be so honest and, <laughs> and full of integrity, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're warmongers. Yeah, she's a what piece they of are. work. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing to be a warmonger. It's another thing to be a warmonger and your family financially gain. I mean, that's the worst kind of piece of human feces as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about the world around us as a dangerous place. Oh, yeah, and my family happens to own a lot of interest in this business that can make the world a safer place. I don't know how many young kids got to die for us to make the money we need to make, the grease, the skids that we need to grease. But I mean, no, I mean, Liz Cheney's, uh, anyway. No. I mean, you take someone like that, that is, was beat so badly in her reelection attempt and to still to think that she's relevant. Well, I mean, she is relevant in their world. Yeah. Well, there's, the there's Democrats not, love her. There's not a national anchor that will not take Liz Cheney's phone call. 
Obviously. And and she's at what? Uh, 20% in Wyoming? I mean, Liz Cheney's approvals with Republican voters, and she still calls herself a Republican, are in the single digit. Right. Just changed to Democrat already and but have I mean, a good but, day. But, but, but Ref Chris Christie, I mean, what is Christie's shtick? Trump sucks. Right. I mean, that's what Christie says. It doesn't matter that he's 4% in the poll, 5% of the poll, 6% in the poll. I mean, he's a little better than that in New Hampshire, but he's a 5% national candidate. But he's on television every time you turn around. Um, so, so the liberal media, and I think yesterday and today, or excuse me, yesterday and the day before, we saw an example of how easily they can put that message to the front of the line. Uh, and it's not break, cla- break glass in case of emergency. I mean, it's what they do every day. And the narrative a couple of days started back with, um, you know, he's a threat to democracy. I mean, we're doing everything we can stop from having him on the ballot, but he's the threat to democracy. I mean, the, the right. irony there, yeah. the hypocrisy and, there. Exactly. All right, let's keep him off the ballot because he's a threat to democracy. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's keep him off the ballot yeah. because he's a threat to democracy. Which approach is more yeah. of a threat to democracy? And could you come over here and help me with that one? I'm, I'm trying to put that sentence together. <laughs> let's keep him off the ballot because he's a threat to democracy. And how many people okay. believe it? Well, half. Yeah. Half the people in America like, believe oh, that. Yeah, you're right. But, um... Well, it's less than half. I think a third, you know, somewhere near a third. Um, a third of the people know he's not a threat to democracy, but they need those trains running, man. You know, the Paul Ryans of the world. I mean, Liz Cheney mm-hmm. has a vendetta. Paul Ryan is operating on the power he has if Trump isn't president and the power he has when Trump is president. And and we did, I think the most alarming part of Trump 2.0, or I guess Trump 3.0, is the fact that they, the American uh, moment. Uh, remember we talked several weeks back about Peter Thiel's been laying low. And when asked, when the, when the, when the, when the team that is running American moment, an American moment is basically, uh, you know, an, an internship that they put young people through to equip them to go to Washington and work as staffers on day one. The big mistake Trump made, and we talked about this, was believing that everything that happened in Washington was like Trump Enterprise. It came across his desk, and all of a sudden, things are happening. People are sabotaging his campaign, is are sabotaging his presidency, and, mm-hmm. and and not executing the orders that the president uh, asked to carry out. I mean, imagine a lot of military leaders. I mean, kind of uh, went on their own and, and basically said, he's the commander-in-chief, but I'm not doing what he said do because I don't think he knows what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not your job. Your job is to do as you are Told by the insubordination in at yeah. best and treason, at but worst. I mean, they, but they were awarded medals of oh, honor yeah. and all these other heroic um, accolades and standing firmly against against Donald Trump. So, um, so, so the question becomes, and you know, I don't know that we know an answer to this. What are the law? If if the voice of the left is the mainstream media, and they've got access to Twitter and they kind of dominate Facebook and some of the other social media sites, thank God for Elon Musk. Or it'd probably be somewhat of a shutout if not for conservative um, talk radio. So when you look at conservative talk radio, I don't want to call it, the, it's, it's not the lone wolf, but it's kind of sort of becoming pretty close to that. I mean, if Fox, to Josh's point, has become less influential, less relevant, less America first, I mean, I would imagine they're still considered conservative media, but they're not very interested in Trump getting reelected either. And you can sense that. A lot of people say, well, that's because Paul Ryan is on the board. I tend to think it's the family that runs Fox News. Um, well, it really changed when Roger Ailes died. 
I mean, when Ailes passed away, I mean, he was a true conservative warrior and a conservative giant. He had the bona fides to, to prove his mettle. I mean, he'd earned his keep in the world of conservative politics, winning campaigns, working on campaigns, being a part of administrations. I mean, Ailes was a competent, smart politico. The, um, the Murdoch family are capitalist. I mean, they're in it for the money. And, um, and they seem to be less inclined to be supportive of the America First brand um, than Roger, or than Fox News when run uh, by Roger Ailes. 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. We'll be back in a few. 843-661-0937. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Charles in Lamar. And if I understand correctly, today is Charles's birthday. He's a birthday boys. B- birthday boys. Happy birthday, Charles. Oh, well, thank you very much. It, I appreciate that. Charles, I'll make a donation to Garnet Trust in your name if that's okay <laughs> with you. Can I do that? Well, actually, I do have a fundraiser on Facebook for Christians United for Israel for my birthday, but you make your contribution wherever you Good deal. want it to go. That'll be, that'll be fine. I just want to respond to something that you said a half hour or so ago. You said uh, you were going through the Fox News hosts and the Fox News uh, commentators and uh, said, uh, they just don't make me scratch my head. They don't, they don't make me scratch my head and think about stuff. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Sean Hannity makes me scratch my head almost every day. I don't watch him on TV because I can't stand it. Um, I do try to listen every day on the radio, and every day I scratch my head and ask myself, how in the world can somebody that damn dumb make $40 million a year? (laughs) So that's my comment. (laughs) Thank you, Charles, and happy birthday. And and we mean that sincerely. Appreciate you uh, listening and, and participating. Thank you a lot. It is 40. I do scratch my head and wonder that it's time. You know what I mean by scratch my head? I mean, right. there's some yeah. people that, I mean, I go to a website, the American Conservative. I go to a, another website, the American Mind. Uh, they aren't, I mean, they, they're right-leaning. I mean, it's obvious they're writers or intellectual conservatives, but they make me kind of like, wow, okay, I thought I this, mean, but after reading that, I'm not sure if my way of thinking is the right way on this particular issue or another or another issue. And I just think bombast. I mean, that's just not my cup of tea. I mean, Rev gets a little aggravated with me when he thinks I get. I try to make this job too complicated and, and too cerebral. And I'm not an <laughs> Because of, apparently bombast pays about $40 well, I mean, million. Well, so. I know, but, but I, I, and I'm, not, I'm not professing to be intellectual. I mean, I know I'm not an intellectual, but I'm very curious. And I think curiosity requires you to be somewhat cerebral. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't like the yelling and screaming. I don't like the, uh, the one-sidedness. I don't like to say... You know, if it weren't for those damn Democrats, America would be on a rail and everything would be perfect. No, I think the Republicans are full of flaws. And I think Republicans have been guilty of mismanaging the government's affairs um, a lot. And and I think involving that as part of the discussion makes your discussion more serious and more legitimate. The two things that I'm probably most proud of, and I think one was very recent, is, is how much time I invested in trying to understand the Palestinian-Israeli situation. I mean, I knew it. I knew it, and I, and I leveled with Josh. I said, Josh, I land here because of my biblical worldview. That was at the beginning. But, but, and and that, was, that was the kind of the crux of my belief, you know, that um, the Jewish people are where they're supposed to be, and they must be protected, and America must assist. But, but over the next couple of weeks, I read and studied and tried to learn and understand. I didn't listen to Hanny Rat and Rave. I mean, I didn't read Exodus over and over and over again. I mean, I began to try and, okay. Um, I mean, I didn't know the British mandate. 
I mean, I knew the Ottoman Empire occupied Israel for a period of time, but I didn't know any of the history of that. I mean, I knew King David. You know, what about I didn't know it was 1,000 B.C., but I knew at some point in its existence that King David placed Jerusalem under, you know, um, Jewish rule, Jewish authority. But, but now I feel like, wow, if somebody bumped into me in the street and said, hey, where do you land on that Palestinian-Israeli situation? I can give a very intelligent answer. Doesn't make me an intellectual, but, but I can give a very intelligent and informed answer. And I think for us to equip ourselves to go out in the world of political debate and win over minds and, and hearts and souls, um, you, you got to be equipped with some degree of intelligent understanding about government, why you believe this, what do you believe. Um, that's why I don't yell and scream with Jeff. I mean, I just, I don't know what that is worth. Jeff, shut up. That's crazy. That's dumb. That's stupid. A lot of you don't want Jeff on the show. I mean, that befuddles me. I don't understand that. I mean, if I'm a conservative and a liberal is, is interested enough in what we have to say to tune in every morning and then is prompted to call in and we're going to tell him to, to, to you know, to go home and leave us alone, I just think we're, we're, we're woefully inadequate in equipping ourselves for legitimate debate if we take that tact and strategy, take a break back in a few eight, four, three, six, six, one, Oh, nine, three, seven, our number somebody's on the phone. Let's go there. It's breeze. Good morning, breeze. You know, kid of uh, Fox was, um, basically dictating to Tucker Carlson, what he could, could say, you better believe they're doing it to the guys they have now. But, um, anyway, uh, I had something interesting and I think it's, sort of uh, applies across the board in America. In our Sunday school class, we have a little prayer thing. And the members of our class, they'll pray to the good Lord to cure them. And then they'll also pray to doctors that have the skills to cure them. Now, they don't try to get cured a lot of things like cancer and stuff like that. They're getting, wanting to get cured because they're complaining that their knees hurt. Or they're complaining they have high blood pressure. Or they're complaining they have high blood sugar. You know, things like that. And then, you know, I, 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 I want to tell them, so what you really ought to be praying to the good Lord for is to give you the guts to get off your lazy butt and exercise and eat correctly, and you can cure yourself. And if you look at that, and that really applies across the board in America and everything. We want somebody else to do the hard work and the dirty work, we want to reap the benefits by sitting on our butt. And again, we got a lot of people just passively sitting by and letting our country be destroyed, destroyed. But they say, well, maybe Breeze will raise enough cane on the radio to make a difference. Or maybe Kid will do this, that, or the other. But I'm just going to be quiet and sit on my dag on its own thumbs and maybe hope the doctor and the good Lord to cure what's wrong with America. But for the good Lord to cure what's wrong with America, We've got to be the miracle ourselves, if you dig what I'm saying. I do. Thank you, Breeze. That's kind of a, um, that's an interesting, I think of that a lot. I mean, I really do. What is, um, I mean, anything's in bounds to God, right? I mean, anything, I mean, if we believe that, you know, almighty, omnipotent, all-present, sovereign God created the heavens and the earth, then asking, you know, him to put this guy in the White House or that guy not, I mean, that that would be, Baby crap alongside what, you know, you see where I'm headed. I mean, that, that would be, wow. I mean, he can, if he could do all of that, surely he could do all of this. And that's the great balance. I mean, that's the great balance of personal choice and freedom and God's will and God's way and God's sovereignty. And, um, I mean, when, when you get that completely and totally figured it out, 
let me know because I want to be in on that gig because I'll give an example. Um, I mean, I believe with all my heart that people who have been in public office have done things far worse than what I did. But I did it. It's not for me to decide who gets what treatment. I mean, I could easily go down, you know, pity party road and say, wow, look at what they did to me and didn't do that to anybody else. But every time I've asked God, you know, God, why did you let me go through that? You know what God said? Clearly. You know what he said? You filled out those forms, man. I mean, you took that money out of your bank account. You did all those things, you know, and um, if, if you chose to do it another way, then, you know, maybe everything's just fine. And I don't know. That's the contrast. And I mean, that's the most complicated question a human being can ask themselves who does believe in God in heaven, you know, wh- why he intervenes at times and doesn't at other times, why he provides miracles at times and doesn't at other times. We know a family. We just did a podcast with our Jeff McKay, NISA director. I got to know Jeff. Um, Jeff came to be executive director of NISA, Northeast Strategic Alliance, when I was on county council. We worked on some economic development projects together. Jeff's 25-year-old son, I think 28-year-old mm-hmm. Um, son had a terrible accident at the Carolina Tennessee football game. I, I've got no idea how to explain that. I've got no idea um, why a hundred other young boys jump over walls and don't sever their backs and don't um, end up in the situation that family um, finds itself in. But but I gotta believe that had God not want to allow that to happen, He would have stopped it. I mean, if He's Almighty Sovereign God. And he's in control of every second of the universe from beginning to end. Don't I have to believe it? it, it Josh, isn't it intellectually inconsistent to believe that God was that God is in charge except for that second when that kid jumped over that wall at that moment in time? Um, yeah. You know, my, my son. I mean, I, I use that as, as an example at times. I mean, my son was born with an issue. That issue led him down the road of a bunch of surgeries. Those surgeries included pain pills. My son had a certain DNA that um, he was very attractive and influenced by. I mean, he told me, you know, looking back on it in, retro, in retrospect, as a 13-year-old, when I took that pill, I knew I liked the way I felt. I mean, he didn't understand addiction, but, I mean, couldn't God have said, man, if I let that kid's leg be born that way, he could end up a, um, an opiate addict. I better not let his leg be born that way. I mean, that, that's the fundamental question of, of our lives. I mean, I, I don't know that, and I think it's fine to say I don't know. I think it's arrogant to say I don't, you know, does other something other than I don't know. That's the only answer I can give. But but I do believe to Breeze's point. I mean, if your knees are hurting and your shoulders are hurting and you're 120 pounds overweight, there's a reason your knees and shoulders are hurting. It's not God inflicted you with some evil disease. I mean, you chose to not take good care of yourself. So so how many get out of jail free cars does God owe us? I mean, we've got political leaders. Highly educated, very smart, competent people who know you can't borrow a trillion dollars a year you don't have. Now, we got some morons who believe in modern monetary theory. God bless them. Um, but we, we've got some others who, who have plenty of sense. I mean, they know better than that. They, they know that at the end of this, there's going to be financial devastation and some sort of um, a, an economic catastrophe that could harm the country for a generation or two or three. Um, but God can't let us out of jail free on that, can he? I mean, God can't say, well, they were trying to do good. I mean, they were trying to help some of the homeless. They were trying to give people money who couldn't go to work. They were trying to, you know, get drugs off the street. They were trying to, 
to allow people to escape uh, political or provide political asylum, you know, people escaping political persecution. So I'll let them slide on this. I mean, that, that's the great mystery of the universe. You know, why God allows certain things to happen to certain people at certain times and seems to let others off the hook at every turn. And I've got an answer to that. It's the Rudy answer. You ready? He's God and I'm not. And that's about as well as I can explain it. Let's go to the phone. Brian in Florence. Morning, Brian. You're on. Hey, Ken. I, uh, I hate to ask for you to talk about your family, but you've mentioned your son's addiction and how uh, briefly he may, he may have uh, dealt with that. But I find it to be a very interesting show to have your knowledge shared about your son's adventures with the uh, opiates and what, what uh, procedures and things he did to to help with that. And I, I come from a place of 13 years of chronic pain myself, so I can completely understand uh, where you're coming from and where he's been and where I am. And I just think it would be a very, very interesting show. Thank you. Appreciate that. I mean, I, I've confided. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've talked about it publicly because I think there's help there. I mean, I think there's a, I'm a real dude with a real family who lives a lot of his life by, by the seat of his pants. And, and, you know, I, I wear my emotions on my sh- shirt sleeve unapologetically. Um, Rev kind of looks at me like, I don't know if I said that, but, but I mean, it is what it is. My life's an open book. I guess politics kind of led me down, down that road. My son was born with tibia deficiency. My wife had a, a virus very early in her pregnancy and whatever happened, um, the, um, the development of his right leg was impaired by something. Uh, the doctors believe that, you know, the, um, the virus that my wife had early in her pregnancy led to a disruption of oxygen that needed to be provided um, and nutrients that needed to be provided. And he was born with a, um, a deficient right leg. It's shorter. It's about three and a half inch shorter than his other leg. And we scoured the, the countryside trying to find doctors and experts and and specialist, and we did. We found um, some doctors at the hospital for special surgery, found some of them USC, and then found some of the hospital for special surgeries that did external fixators. And I would turn a screw four times a day. Uh, they broke his leg. I mean, they severed his bone with a laser. We, we, uh, we basically, over a year and a half, stretched his leg, and we really over-accommodated. They charted his future growth and how tall I am and how tall my wife is and they estimated how tall he would be. So they, uh, over a period of a year and a half, I turned screws four times a day that basically stretched his leg and it stretched his leg about three quarters of an inch, you know, longer to accommodate for the growth that would eventually happen when he got 16, 17, um, 18 years old. This would have been as a 14, 13 to 14 year old is when they decided to do, um, the surgery and, um, I mean, he had a lot of other things to go along, ligament stretching and tendon stretching and bone resets and pick lines and all that other um, sort of stuff. But, but you know, he, he was prescribed a lot of pain medicine. I mean, a great deal of pain medicine. And he's looked back on it and said at the age of 13, he knew that he liked the way it made him feel. I mean, he knew that. There was no question about that. Um, now, now, my wife and I did what parents typically do. You know what we did? We don't want to deal with that. I mean, we, we don't want to deal with that. Our kid's going to be fine. He's got some issues. He wants to be fine. I mean, next thing you know, the kid that's always on time, always has his shirt tucked in, um, itting on time and doesn't have a shirt tucked in. And you're looking at him like, wow, something's happening here. But we did what most parents did. Uh, we kind of avoided. We left that dark cloud over there somewhere. Instead of confronting it 
as we should have. We're scared to death of it. Because what we were, we were scared to death of it and didn't want to deal with it. But at some point in time, we had to deal with it. I mean, life got so out of control, so chaotic, so unpredictable, so fundamentally dishonest. I mean, that, that's the, the story with addicts. I mean, they just lie about everything under the sun um, just to keep their boat afloat, so to speak. So I began, um, and you guys have listened to me. I mean, I, I research a lot about a lot of things. And I began a journey of trying to find a place that I thought could help him. And I looked at success rates. And the one thing that I was told by somebody I trust in medicine is find somewhere that has a neurosurgeon as a large part of it. And I found a place where the, um, the chief medical officer of the place my kid went, brother died of an opiate overdose, and he was a neurosurgeon, very, very accomplished neurosurgeon. And I began sending emails, and he began responding. And out of that came, uh, what, 36 days at a treatment center. And for whatever reason, it worked. And he's better. He's over five years sober. Doesn't have any interest in it. Regrets the day. Um, but the one thing addicts have to do that I found, and I guess, you know, the holiday season, we kind of love on one another a little more than normal. The one thing addicts have trouble doing is forgiving themselves. I mean, they know how much they hurt the people that love them. They know how much... I don't know, just craziness. They bought into an average family that doesn't live a crazy life. And and they've got to eventually forgive themselves. The people that love them, I mean, once they're they're helped and clean and sober and living life as is intended to be, the, the people that love you forgive you. I found that out in my political travails. I mean, when I went around to apologize to people that have been so good to me in politics, you know, I had a good friend of mine say, look, man, don't waste your time with those three people. I mean, they're never going to forgive you, so why worry about it? I mean, that, that's, you know, the people that are going to forgive you have already forgiven you. Concentrate on, on those people. But addicts have a hard time in forgiving themselves. I mean, they, 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 they're clean, they're sober, they look back and say, damn, I mean, did I do that? Did I behave that way? Did I hurt the people, my mom and dad and brother? Did I hurt, you know, the, the, my wife? and her? Surely I wouldn't have ever done Well, you didn't do that. You were under the influence. My, my big adaptation, and, and we can go as deep in this because Rev knows I'm comfortable talking about it. The, the biggest thing I had to struggle with is I was raised, and the largest influence in my life was a self-made businessman whose theory on life was pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I mean, that's just the way the world works, son. We don't have the time to feel sorry for yourself. Nobody's going to feel sorry for you. The world ain't fair, but you got to keep digging. And the decisions you make, put you in the positions you end up in. And I believed that addicts had to live under that same theory. And Dr. Fareed, who was the neurosurgeon I discussed earlier, explained to me in very technical and medical terms why that's not the case, that my son's brain had been affected. It had been impacted. He didn't have the ability to pick himself up by the bootstraps. His um. I mean, his, his, his brain had been rewired, so to speak. And there's this word endorphin, and it's a pleasure sensation. I'm sorry, uh, anhedonia. It's a pleasure sensation. And the, um, the constant and consistent and long use of opiates raises that pleasure sensation almost through the roof. In other words, we get pleasure from French fries or exercise or hamburgers or sex or chocolate, whatever. I mean, the body has a certain... Ah, pleasure feeling and sensation. And when you take opiates for as long as my son did, 
for as many times as he did, it's almost like chocolate, sex, hamburger. None of that makes you feel good. It's got to have that next level of, uh, you know, artificial, artificial, um, insp- artificial, what am I trying to say here? Uh, stimulation, like stimulation yeah. okay. would have been that. So, um, so, you know, I, you know, I, I'd love to help people. I think I understand it. I mean, I didn't sit idly by and watch him wither away. I didn't throw the towel in and give up. I mean, I fought as hard as I knew to fight and anybody dealing with that, that's just all I can encourage you to do is fight as hard as you can. Um, because the person is sick and, and that's the revelation I had. Um, is that person making a choice? Yes. Is that person capable of making a good choice? I personally don't think they are. I mean, there's a great debate in medical. There, there's a great debate in spirituality about it, praying and all these other um, sorts of things. Didn't Bree say, you know, you ought to pray to God to give you the energy to get up and go to the gym? Or you ought to pray to God to have enough money to send your family member? Um, you know, what, what, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal, Josh, and I know we get running behind here, but there's an article in the Wall Street Journal this week about Purdue Pharmaceutical. And some of the families don't want to take the settlement. Now, why, I don't know. I mean, they've hired lawyers. They don't want to agree to the settlement. The great travesty in all of this settlement, there are going to be billions of dollars paid by some of these uh, pharmaceutical companies, and the money's going to the government. And the government's going to hire a bunch of bureaucrats. And the bunch of bureaucrats are going to, you know, probably get 25% on every dollar bang for the benefit. The government should, I mean, if I were king of the world, I'm not, but if I were, and Josh, this goes to your theory about a good, you know, good king, a good dictator, uh, you know, a, a, um, a quality emperor. The money should be sent to the rehab centers that have a track record of helping people get better. I mean, that's where the billions of dollars should be sent. We should create scholarship opportunities in some of these world-class rehab facilities that have a track record of getting people rehab better and back in a normal life. But instead... The states who sued the opiate companies are going to get their hands on larger sums of money than they probably ever had in certain budget uh, in certain budget ways or budgetary ways. And I can tell you what they'll do: they'll hire a bunch of bureaucrats, they'll create a bunch of government programs, and it won't help much at all. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. So uh, to to follow up on the caller's call and question and ask you to speak a little bit about your personal experience with the addiction in your family and th- and that is something that you you lived publicly here on the radio and and your son came on the radio show and we did a did a show a a full show about his his story um, I remember one time we had a and it was during that time we had an expert from Fox we had the callers that call from Fox they offer and there was somebody that spoke about addiction and he explained it to me or explained it on the air to a way that really made sense to me with someone who was addicted to opiates and it did change my feeling a little bit because he made it very clear when he said you know when your when your brain is rewired um then your your body kind of goes into survival mode to get your next fix whether, you know, survival mode, same as it would as if you, you had no water and you needed water to survive or food to survive. He said, so that that's a way he explained it on the air during the interview that made a lot of sense uh, to me. And so at that point and, you know, living, living, you know, through this close to you and, and, and hearing the stories about your family, you know, I'd certainly, you know, it, it changed my opinion on that on, and, and mental, mental, um, it being a, an illness, um, 
as opposed to, you know, the old pick yourself up by the bootstraps and quit doing that stuff and I, I just, I don't, get on I don't, with your I don't life, think so. you can do that. I mean, I think there are rare but examples. Do you, do you of people, believe that too? Oh, I, you? Of course I did. I mean, my dad raised me to believe that about everything in life. I mean, everything in life was pick yourself up by the bootstraps and work a little harder, stay a little later, you know, um, be a little more intense. I mean, that was his answer to everything. So when my son becomes an addict, I mean, the first thing I want to take, I'll take a damn phone from you. I'll take your truck from you. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll make you stay late at school. I mean, I, you know, to, to, and that, yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly my initial reaction. At some point along the way, and Dr. Fareed had a big impact on him. He's a neurosurgeon. I mean, he's an accomplished neurosurgeon who gave up a very lucrative medical career to run a rehab center. If I don't listen to him, I'm a moron, right? I mean, I got to pay some attention to what the guy says and explain to me about the brain and what opiates do to the brain. And I'm not saying you can't willpower your, yourself to, um, to sobriety. I mean, I, I guess a, um, a Lance Armstrong, you know, somebody like that who has unbelievable willpower and dedication and motivation, um, but, but the average person, I don't think they can will themselves. I don't think you can pray yourself to healing. I really don't. I think you've got to have prayer. You've got to have support. You've got to have a willingness to want to do better. I'll give an example. Um, you talked about me telling the story. And one of the benefits of telling the story is people, and I mean this sincerely, uh, I joke around, I like to, I like to be left alone. But the, but the one thing I really enjoy is when someone comes to me in a certain situation and says, you got a minute? Yeah. And I think they're going to ask me about something political. You know, I got this problem with the county. I got this problem with the city. I got this problem with the state. A lot of times it's, hey, I got this kid. I got this spouse. And I've heard you tell your story, and I don't know what to do. Now, but that is very gratifying to me. I think living your life in somewhat of an open book fashion in, in, in a matter like that is very helpful. And they'll, they'll tell the story about their kid. And it, it's very similar to my kid. You know, regular American family doing the best they can. Um, you know, got all these hopes and promises and dreams and ambitions. You want your kid to change the world. And your kid finds himself in a very complicated and difficult situation. But the smartest thing my kid has ever said to me or he wasn't telling me. We met with a family. He and I went and met with a family at, at their house. And the kid was was in bad shape. I mean, he really and truly was in bad shape. The mom and dad wanted the kid sober. We left there, and my son told me. My son was 26, not 27 or 8 at the time. My son told me the mom and dad want him sober, but he doesn't want to be sober yet. What do you mean? I just know. Uh, and, he, and, he, and he said, and I'll never get he said, Dad, I know you spent a lot of money sending me to a certain place, but, but that certain place, I mean, I get you're very comfortable with the, you know, neurosurgeon doctor and all that, but, but the, the, the reason I'm sober and I'm going to stay sober is I got tired of being an addict and I didn't want to be an addict any longer. So there is a choice there. I mean, there's a, um, you know, he said, if a kid doesn't, well, not a kid, adult, somebody, if somebody doesn't want to get any better, you can send them to the highest-rated clinic in the world and spend every penny you've got, and they aren't getting better if they don't want to get better. So, so, so yes, I do believe that there is a will. That the 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 pick yourself up by the bootstraps comes from, I guess, laying in the bed one day, Rev, and and saying to yourself, "I can't live like this anymore." I mean, I've told publicly the phone call. I'm at West Florence in the parking lot about to pick my daughter up from cheer practice before she got her driver's license. And I got a call and it was my son. And he was broken. I mean, it was, it was horrible. It was sad. It was tragic. It was wow. 
and he said, I can't stop taking pain pills. Well, to me, that's an admission. Isn't that to some degree picking yourself up by the bootstraps? I mean, isn't that to some degree saying, I've got to take responsibility of this, and I don't know what to do. Well, when he tells me that, Rev, I don't know what to do. I mean, I've never dealt with addiction in my life. I never saw that coming from a million miles away. But then I began exploring opportunities, and we found a place that we were all comfortable with. And But he went there with an attitude. He went there with a want to get better. And I think the pick yourself up by the bootstraps part of this, the, the wanting to get better part of this, is, is that, the decision you make. But, but I'll say this. It's, an, it's, it's a disease. I mean, is it, is it cancer? No. You choose to take the pain pill. I mean, there's no doubt about that. You choose to take the pain pill. But, but I'm arguing that unless you're one of the rare, rare examples of self-discipline and restraint and dedication, it, it's almost you don't have a choice. It's almost impossible for that pain pill to sit there because think about it. Your brain has been completely rewired. It, it's, you're not you anymore. Chocolate doesn't give you the pleasure. Sex doesn't give you the pleasure. Um, you know, adoration doesn't give you the pleasure. You got to have something more than that. And, th- and that's when you read some of the internal emails with the Sackler case. I mean, they knew that this, this toxic combination of, of medicine and chemicals was going to be highly addictive. They knew that. I mean, I've talked to doctors after the fact and say there's no way. There's no way you can create this ingredient combine it with that ingredient, this other ingredient, without it being highly addictive. They knew. But it's kind of a damned if you do and damned if you, get, if you got body trauma. I mean, my son had a lot of, he had a hip turned and twisted. He had bones cut. He had, uh, you know, knees relocated. He had his heel slid over a quarter of an inch. I mean, his heel was literally severed from his foot, slid over a quarter of an inch to get back in symmetrics, you know, to get in alignment with his knee and because your, your hip and ankle and knee have to be properly aligned. Well, his was not because of the deficiency that he was born with. There's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of pulling on bones and twisting and whatnot. I mean, you couldn't stand that. What do you do? Hand him a bullet like in Gunsmoke, bite this bullet and we'll start the surgery. You know, drink this whiskey or moonshine and everything will be okay. No, I'm not arguing that there's the world doesn't need opiates. I mean, I think opiates are appropriate, but we've got to educate people of the dangers on the front end. Hey, this is a highly addictive medicine we're about to get you. And we, and we need to really pay close attention what sorts of doses. You want to jump in, Josh? Yeah. Or it seems w- to me. I wanted to <laughs> ask a question. Um, so something I'm curious about, you know, you've talked multiple times about your, your son and his pa- issues in the past. If in the future, because your son's in his 30s, you know, we all get older. If, you know, he's in his 50s or 60s and he has another accident and has to have surgery again, do doctors take into account the fact that he was an addict before and did they prescribe something different or the the last visit to hospital for special surgeries in New York was to get some things back in line. I mean, he's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. He'll probably eventually have to have his knee replaced and his ankle replaced, but we're trying to wait long enough. So we don't have to get it replaced twice. Um, he's got a lot of, he doesn't have a lot of flexibility in his ankle. Anyway, it's just a complicated ordeal, but, but yes, um, when we went for the, for the last time to hospital for special surgeries, We had an hour-long counseling session about, hey, he was once an addict. So let's be real careful about what we prescribe. And they walked through all of his medical records or medical records. They called the treatment center. You know, the treatment center provides kind of follow-up. So they called the treatment center and inquired about his issues and what the problems were and what to be careful with. 
Um, I mean, yeah, there's no way he can go through the surgery without pain medicine. I mean, there's, you know, you can't do that. I mean, biting a bullet and taking, you know, that's gun smoke. I mean, that's, that's Hollywood. Superman don't fly y'all. Um, that's not the real world. But, um, my point of all this is, and, and I could find the article cause I actually posted some comments. Um, they're going to give all this money to the government and the government will squander the majority of it I, out of this settlement will come probably two or three other government agencies and multiple thousands of federal employees. And the success rate will probably be 300% less than what the success rate is at world-class treatment centers that know what they're doing. They know how to make people better who have become addicted to whatever it is you're addicted to. And there are a way to rate these things. I mean, there, there are agencies out there that say, you know, this treatment center has a, a such and such success rate. And if you ask, they'll have to provide you with that information. And Josh, you know that as well as I do. I mean, there, there's somebody listening to my voice right now thinking we're talking about Trump and Biden and the debate tomorrow night and the media and all these, but there's somebody out there right now whose Christmas is uncertain because they've got a family member who's an addict. And that's what I wanted to do. I, what I, the only thing, I, I don't have a cure. I mean, I know what worked for us, but I don't know that that works for everybody. Well, the one thing I want to do, and the one thing I think we've accomplished, don't be embarrassed. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. I mean, if you're embarrassed, afraid, and ashamed, you ain't getting better. I mean, you've got to let go of that. You, you've got to admit that you, you, you're, a, you're, a, you're an example of frailty. You have a, a, a significant issue in your life, and you don't know what to do. But, but I'm telling you, secrets will keep you sick. I mean, that's the one thing I've learned through addiction. They lie, they cheat, they steal, they do whatever they've got to do to get that fix. But, but, but you can't get better if you're ashamed, embarrassed, or, or, or just feel like you're living in the shadows. And, and, and the one thing that, that I tried to do in making my situation public was to convince others, don't be ashamed, don't be embarrassed, don't hide in the shadows because you'll wake up one day to a phone call where your loved one is dead. I mean, that's the way that ends. You end up, as, as they like to say, in prison or, or dead. And I mean, th- th- there were parents in, in the treatment center that my kid was that would rather their kid be in jail because they knew they weren't, you know, on the street, so to speak, living under a bridge potentially coming into contact with um, with fentanyl. So don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Don't live uh, in the shadows. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Do we have a call? Uh, we do have a call. This is Joe. Uh, good morning, Joe. You're on. Uh, yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, yeah, Ken, uh, I, I called yesterday, and uh, it was right before Dr. Bolt came on, so we really didn't get a chance to follow up, but Based on what you said this morning about your son, I think I have a little bit more clarification on what I was trying to say yesterday and didn't articulate so well. I was talking yesterday about the fact that a lot of the elites, they feel like they really know what's best for everyone else, and they want to tell everyone how to live their life or how to believe in what or how to act accordingly, and um, there's a certain arrogance about that um and we talked a little bit about the fact that maybe maybe people who are humbled 
by their belief in a you know a, a greater being don't feel that need to to play God on earth. And you had said the last thing you had said before you had to go to break was, well I'm as arrogant or I can be as arrogant as the next guy, and I don't perceive you that way. And and the reason I don't is because. Uh, you know, you've been on the record as not telling people whether they should get COVID or not, uh, not telling people what they should do or how they should be. You are perfectly willing to entertain other people's difference of opinion. Yes, you have strong opinions. Yes, you're a smart guy. Yes, you research things and you, you don't talk, you know, uh, w- without some sort of uh, very, very reflective consideration. But I think what I'm what I'm saying is that the elites feel it's their job to tell everyone what to do, whether it's, you know, a country feeling they need to impose their will on another country um, or another person like a Paul Ryan or a Chris Christie, you know, feeling like they know better. And you demonstrated today just how real you are. And, and you may be arrogant about some things, but not as it relates to other people's lives. Uh, you're being real to try to help them. And just imagine if Joe Biden was real about what's going on with him, how he would have a much different reaction, because he's in denial about everyone's ability to see through his smokescreen. And uh, I guess those people have a blind spot in that they don't realize people know they're full of it. And so I think if you are arrogant about some things, number one, you're not trying to impose that on everyone else. And number two, you're a heck of a lot more real than a lot of these elites uh, are. So I, I think that that as I've been thinking about it, I'm clearer in my own mind about what I meant. And I just wanted to take the opportunity to kind of revisit that. Thank you so much, Ken, for all all your sharing today. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. You know, I, I, I despise elites. I despise elitism. I mean, the, the opportunity to be a Trump supporter gives me a chance to oppose elitism. And I understand Trump's a rich guy from UPN, and he lives in a big, you know, condo in New York City, but he embodies and symbolizes and represents kind of a, um, I don't know, a, a, a get back at some of the elites. And when I see Paul Ryan do his thing on CNBC, or I hear, you know, um, some of the hedge fund managers in Wall Street do their thing on Wall Street, it, it reeks of a certain degree of arrogance. And by arrogance, I mean, I want to say this. I don't know that I'm arrogant, but I'm very sure of myself. I mean, I'm very confident in my opinions. I, I'd like to believe that being sure of your opinions, combined with living on a farm in a town with no stoplight, dropping out of college, working in a metal building, kind of forces a little humility in your life. I mean, I wore steel-toed work boots for 13, 14, 16, uh, about 20 years of my life. Um, I have no regrets of that. One of my, and Rev knows this, I mean, I'll get real emotional about rural America. One of the one of the things that is honored, admired, respected in rural America is humility. And maybe a lot of it is because it's a, it's kind of an agrarian economy. Historically, has been dependent upon uh, agriculture. What, what does agriculture need? Rain. Who makes it rain? God. So, so you're real, I mean, you, you're real dependent upon things out of your control and power and you pray for rain, you pray for a good crop. And I do believe that that some some of the rural input of my life has allowed me to be or keep myself grounded. Now, now once again, I'm as damn sure of my opinion as any elitist has ever been. But, but I don't believe I try to force 
my opinions and worldviews on those who see the world in a very different way. Elites do. I mean, elites absolutely believe it's not only their job to think for themselves, it's their job to convince you that the way they think for themselves is the only way that needs to be thought. A lot of thinks and thoughts in there. Take a break. <laughs> Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. DW in Florence. Good morning. Hey, guys. What's going on? Go Tigers. Uh, you know, talking about this addiction thing, Ken. You know, for 12 years, I went through a long, hard struggle with my son. And he got straight, got settled, and everything was going great. And he got hurt again. And, you know, there's no real uh, instance they can tell you what they're going to do other than give him the same pills he was on to addict, you know, get him right back to where he was. He fought that addiction after that, after he'd gotten hurt, putting him back on the same pills. And, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of parents who've gone through what you've gone through and I've gone through that when this happens, we need to really press somehow to find out another way other than sticking them back on the same drugs they were addicted on, uh, to find another way to get these kids medicated or fixed or whatever else we need. Because my son used to always tell the doctor, say, if you fix me, I won't take any more of these pills. I can quit. I've done it before. But so many times something like this happens, like you're talking about your son, if something else happened to him down the road that Josh asked you about, what would he do? Well, the medications today still hadn't progressed to a place where they can give you something that's not going to cause the same addiction. So you have to really, really be careful. So parents out there who have kids who have addictions, be careful, but push. Try to find a, a solution to this thing because some of them turn out good and some of them don't. So, um, oh, you guys out there, God bless you guys for standing strong with addicted children. And keep praying for them. So that's the only thing that's going to make a difference. So thank you, guys. Appreciate your honesty, Ken. Let's get things here. So you guys have a great day. Thank you, DW. And I'm not I'm not trying to advise families what to do. Please don't. Uh, I, I'm not qualified to do that. I was not qualified to say get a vaccine or not. I'm not qualified to tell you what to do if you've got a situation in your life. The one thing I am emphasizing, don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed and don't live in the shadows. There are people who want to help. There are people who can help. So, so the moral of my story, if there's any takeaway here, the one thing I want you to understand is you're not the only person dealing with a loved one who's an addict. And there's no good in hiding. There's no good in being embarrassed. There's no good in being ashamed. I know society, and we're bad about stigmatizing certain things. I mean, we are. We're real bad about, well, you know how they are. You know how they are. You know how these people are. You know how those people are. Um, that, that has been my hope and prayer is by my, you know, making my story public and my son agreeing to make our story public, it, it, it will, it will allow someone to say, well, I mean, if they're not embarrassed about it, why do I have to be embarrassed about it? If they're not ashamed of it, why should I be ashamed? It's, it's pretty sad guys that we've allowed our society to be like that. It goes back to the old Jerry Clower story. I've told this uh, story many times on the air. I think it's so appropriate. So Jerry Clower finds out a deacon in his church has some problems. And he calls a fellow deacon and says, let's go down and see what, what Joe's, what's wrong with Joe. And he says, well, I, don't, I ain't helping Joe. I want to know what the son of a gun's done. And Jerry Clower said, well, let's gather up a bunch of rocks and go stone him to death then. I, I just believe society at its best is when we love one another and care for one another and try to help one another through whatever situation we may find ourselves in. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. I'm going to put Josh on the spot here just a second because I've Uh-oh. learned to read his facial expressions 
And I think I'm reading something fairly loud and clear. Let's go to the phone. Uh oh, watch out, Josh. Trust me. Uh, Shane and the PD. Good morning, Shane. Good morning, guys. Yeah, Ken, you hit the nail on the head. Um, I'm a recovering addict and alcoholic, and uh, it's a battle forgiving yourself. Um, got a son and a wife, uh, and it's a battle every day. You know, uh, but I've been through a, been through a lot, and. Uh, Wife's having a hard time forgiving me or can't forgive me, and uh, and that's uh, leading to a, a divorce. But um, what I really wanted to say was, well, is I went to rehab, and rehab helped me uh, understand some things, but it didn't fix me. Um, once she's once I run into some problems. Uh, you know, things that trigger it went right back to it. But what saved me was the Lord. I asked the Lord. I begged him for mercy. I had asked before, but I weren't ready to quit. Um, thought I was, but I hit uh, a rock bottom. And, uh, and, and, he, and I begged him one morning for mercy, and he gave it to me. So... And, and I haven't, I've been, I've been clean and sober about 90 days. And, uh, when he gave me that miracle, he took it all away. I never, I don't crave anything anymore. Don't have any desire. And I feel like I never will, but I'm walking with him these days. And without him, I don't, uh, I don't know where I would be, but I know where I'm at now. And I love him for it, and I always will. And and I surrendered to him uh, a few days later. I decided to give my life to him, and it's changed my life. I wish I'd have done it a long time ago, but sometimes it just you have to, you know, to, you have to hit rock bottom before you can come back up. And he's helped me come back up. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you sharing that. And don't be ashamed, embarrassed, or live in the shadows as a result of. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting, I'm thinking when people talk about these things, the, it's gotta be somewhat therapeutic, you know, to, to say that here's where I am, here's where I was, here's who I give. Um, I mean, guys, whether you are a addict or not, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. I mean, if, if, if you're an addict or not, and we don't have grace, mercy, and forgiveness, we're all done. I mean, every single one of us, um, addiction was that gentleman's problem. Now what's yours? I mean, I'm not getting on my high horse here. And, and I'll say this about addiction. A lot of people believe that once you become sober and you live a life of sobriety, that you're not responsible for the mess you made when you were an addict. I mean, we're still cleaning up things. I mean, addicts make a mess. <laughs> I laugh now. I mean, addicts make a big mess and it, and it's expensive. And it's very entailed, and it's very um, complicated. I mean, they they live they live life not in a, in a way that honors anything. I mean, there there's no moral or ethics or or virtue to the way they live. They just live to try and get the next fix, to try and get the next drink, the next pill, the next uh, you know snort, the next smoke, whatever. Um, but but it doesn't mean. And I guess this would be. 
I mean, I can I can say this clearly. Um, I am more proud of my kid now than I've ever been because he's agreed, he's accepted responsibility for being an addict, and he's and he's embraced sobriety. But but I'm mad with him about the mess he made that I'm having to clean up, or he and I together are trying to clean up. Just dumb things, things that you're like, wow, okay, what were you thinking then? And and every now and then I'll get a letter <laughs> from somebody or somewhere, and you know, or he'll get a letter and he'll say, you got a minute? Yeah, I got a letter. And I'm like, well, it's not a lottery ticket. I can assure you of that. But you, you live, you, you just live a you know a, a very abnormal existence, and you don't care who you hurt. You don't care how much damage you cause. Um, I just and then once again, I would never ever represent myself. As someone who says, well, if you'll go here and if you'll do this and if you'll do that, I mean, I, I don't know what works for others. I mean, I honestly and truly don't. And I'm not sure that I still understand addiction and choice, disease and choice. I mean, I, I still get confused by, okay, how much uh, it can't all be a disease. I mean, it's a disease of choice. You make a choice. Now, now my son's a little bit different because he didn't make a choice to take pain pills. I mean, he had a condition that required him to be prescribed pain pills. Uh, he didn't go looking for them. They found him, so to speak. But there was still a point in his life he chose to go to a, you know, a pill house and buy pills. Chose to take the rent or a house pay, car payment or whatever money he was to buy groceries with and buy pills. But those are choices, but they're choices heavily influenced by the addiction that fundamentally rewires, rewires your brain. The only thing I feel very comfortable in is encouraging people to not live in the shadows, to not be embarrassed, to not be ashamed, to, to own what you are. And if you're a full-blown addict, own being a full-blown addict and seek help and seek redemption and seek rejuvenation. Um, and I do believe, I mean, the one thing that I, I told you, I was not going to, to send my son anywhere that didn't have a neurosurgeon. I was also not going to send my son anywhere that didn't have a spiritual component. Because I believe in the power of prayer. I believe prayer is enormously powerful in, uh, in you know, helping people get through very complicated and difficult situations. Prayer is not, you know, for the weak. Prayer to me is for the strong. I mean, I'm strong enough to admit that there's a God in heaven and I need his help. And he's willing to help me if I submit myself and ask for his, uh, his help and forgiveness. Josh, you look to me like you're not sure where you stand on disease or, or, or choice. Uh, I wouldn't say that. I, I definitely agree that, uh, I, 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 it is a bit strong in my opinion to call it a disease, Fair enough. um, because there is a free will component to it, like you said, but it is not as simple as, oh, just stop doing it. It does rewire your brain chemistry, especially something as strong as opium. You know, it, it's easier to get off doing weed. And you're the son of a heroin. doctor. You're the son of a doctor, so you've heard some of these conversations. Yeah. I got to believe. And my my uh, my family history on my dad's side has a history of struggling with alcoholism. So I don't drink alcohol for that reason. You know, it's there is certain genetic factors that kind of predispose you to being addicted to alcohol or just being addicted to things in general. So... I do agree with you on on that regard, and and I do believe that these people need to be cared for. But there's a difference between enabling and and providing care because sometimes you, you know, sometimes you need the carrot, sometimes you need the stick, and you know that it, it's person to person. Like you said, I I com I actually completely agree with you. 
especially with the assessment you said about your son and this other guy you knew where your son said he's not ready because he doesn't want to be. Of course, like, if if you force someone, if you lock someone in a jail cell and keep them away from doing any kind of drug, they'll get off it. But what's to stop them from doing it the second they get out? They have to make that choice. Sure. So, to, to, so to, I completely to agree. Li- to live sober. and um, Right. But it's complicated. And there's another matter here, and I do think it plays into the body politic rib, and that is the, the, the sincerity of caring for your fellow man. Um, I, I just think we live in an age, and I guess I fan the flames of this. We live in an age where, I mean, I said yesterday, and I think the, 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 we had a guest yesterday that said, I've never heard it said quite that way. The more divided America is, the more lucrative this job is, the more fundamentally important this job is. I mean, if, if, if you believe in a conservative America and you have right of center leanings and biases, and you believe that you're just attacked at every angle, except this one safe haven you can go and this guy in the morning, he says, ain't y'all a lot, but, but he says things that are relatable to me. I mean, my world is so much better. I mean, Rev and I, I mean, Rev will not confide as much in this as I, cause he's a professional radio guy. I'm not. Trump has been the best thing that has ever happened to talk radio. I mean, Limbaugh was the, was the gold standard, but Limbaugh didn't get to see this to its fruition. I mean, he didn't live long enough to follow Trump and this, this, whatever it is we're dealing with today, but there is no doubt it, but the numbers are clear. I mean, we were, we were a, a popular radio show before Trump, but we have become wildly popular, not because of us getting a lot better at it. I mean, I like to believe we've gotten a little bit better at it over the years, um, but it's Trump. I mean, the curiosity factor. But but you would agree the majority of people who support Trump, I mean, there's some vindictiveness in why they support Trump, right? Getting back at the other mm-hmm. side. They don't feel they've ever had a warrior. They don't feel they've ever had somebody who would stick a stake in the ground and say, I ain't budging. You're not shoving me around. I'm tired of this crap. And I'm mad as hell, and I'm not taking it any longer. Don't you agree that Trump is an embodiment, Josh, of that sort of resolve? In other words, Trump is... I mean, if Trump were not on the scene, would America be as divided? I mean, I think it's good division because I think the American working class were taken advantage of. And I think they were played. Um, they were pawns in a game. And, and, and you're starting to see who these people are. I saw yesterday where a Democrat super bundler gave Nikki Haley a quarter of a million dollars. I mean, how, how can a Republican <laughs> be for Nikki Haley and, and be oblivious to a Democrat super donor giving Nikki Haley, I didn't say 2,500, I didn't say 2,500, I didn't say 25,000, I said 250,000, a quarter of a million dollars was given to the Haley campaign by a Democrat operative yesterday. How does Nikki believe that helps her? It's bizarre to me. I mean, unless you live in this bubble and you're so insulated or isolated from the American working class. So I believe that the resentment and anger and division is almost necessary. I mean, it's a byproduct of having been taken advantage of for as long as they were. From, from a political standpoint, what what could she do? Just asking logistically, if she didn't want to, because of the optics of that, not want to be seen taking $250,000 from a Democrat operative, um, could she refuse it? Say, thank you, I mean, but no thank you? That's what I would have done. And I would have had a press conference. And I would have suggested, hey, there are Democrats trying to help me. I don't need your help. I mean, I'll win this right. thing with Republican support or not. But but Nikki tends to be a little bit different about that. I mean, she's an establishment 
oriented candidate. Um, I think she's a neoconservative. I think she's a um, a throwback to the days of John McCain and you know Bob Dole and some of the others. And I, and I believe that they have found somebody. Here's what I think is happening in American politics today. I think the 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 stale, pale male crowd that ran the Republican Party for so, so, so long have found somebody who's not stale, pale, and male. They know they can't win with the mindset and candidate of stale, pale, male. They're wondering whether they can still be stale, pale, male and find somebody who looks differently than they do and, and be competitive in a Republican primary. I don't think they can. I mean, once again, the, the problem, problem with the Republican Party, and we've historically known this, some of the demographic headwinds, you know, the the um, the Hispanics aren't voting Republican, the African Americans historically have voted, have voted Democrat. I mean, I think there's a way to play this game, and we'll talk a little bit Friday. We'll have put with us some people Friday that play this game, that, you know, the, the demographic headwinds, some of the, um, some of the issues the Republican Party deals with, but I think the, um, I mean, I think the Paul Ryans of the world have accepted that we can't be neoconservatives and establishment Republicans and run a 55- or 60-year-old white guy. But can we run a, a well-spoken Indian female? I mean, wonder where we can go with this package. But, but it's all about power. It's not about ideology. Once again, the reason Paul Ryan is so animated about this election, Trump wins, he has very little power. Trump loses, he has enormous power. I mean, it's not a 10% decline in power. I mean, if, if, if Paul Ryan can be a part of beating Donald Trump and, and, and reestablishing order, pun intended, reestablishing order in the Republican Party, he is enormously valuable. I mean, you know, I mean, he's, he's made a life off of lobbying anyway after he left uh, politics, and he never left politics. He still plays politics. You just don't vote for the guy. But I think Paul Ryan epitomizes what happens to the party if Trump wins again. People like Paul Ryan just not really needed any longer. Mm. What good are you, um, Sir Paul? Take a break. I'd be Paul yeah. McCartney. Uh, <laughs> not Sir Paul. 8436610937 back in a few. 8436610937. I'm kind of proud of the analogy I use on the debates the Republicans are having. You're having a Bruce Springsteen of the E Band E Street Band concert at Madison Square Garden, but Bruce ain't coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. an E Street Band concert. That's not a yep. Bruce Springsteen it's totally different. and the E Street Band concert. So the fourth GOP debate is tonight. Fox News Radio's Eben Brown is with us from Miami. Eben, good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning. I think it's more like a like a cover band. Okay, right? <laughs> <laughs> even a cover band. But um, there are four candidates that made or met the criteria to allow them to be on the debate stage tonight. We know that Trump is not there. Uh, what should we know? What would we, what would be uh, kind of be keenly interested in Evan? Well, yeah, it's, so it's going to be Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and Chris Christie. Uh, what exactly will happen? They're going to probably get even more time to talk because there's fewer people on stage. Uh, and, uh, does that mean we get more substantive and, and in-depth policy discussion and ideas? Well, we hope so. Uh, do we have the chance of just longer diatribe, diatribes and more angry vitriol? Probably. Uh, I would I would uh, suspect that the uh, the ongoing feud between Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy will have another chapter tonight. 
uh, because why not? Uh, and uh, and so I think you know we'll kind of get the, you know all of it. Uh, this is uh, look everyone everyone there on stage tonight is punching up and trying to get second place. Uh, and uh, because first place is not going to be there, uh, and he's doing his own thing, and that would be the former president Donald Trump. Uh, you know, we have about four weeks to the to the uh, Iowa caucuses, and we'll see if the polling truly holds up. I suspect Donald Trump truly is in the lead. I just don't know if the lead is as wide as the polls suggest it is. Uh, we've seen polling be very, very, very wrong before. In fact, many of the polls now suggesting Donald Trump has this 40 to 50 or even 60 percent lead, whatever it is, astronomical lead, were the same polls saying Ron DeSantis was going to lose his gubernatorial reelection by 20 points and when, in fact, he won it by 20 points. So they were 40 points off. Um, whether or not one translates to the other is uh, something else again. But uh, but anyhow, it's one more chance for these candidates to be heard. Hopefully they make positive use of it. It's another chance for them to get free media for a couple hours tonight and then the sound bites that run the next two days or whatever the rules are. Uh, and, uh, and And, of course, again, we're just a few weeks out from that very first contest, the Iowa caucuses, where turnout is key so this is not a it's not just a caucus in that they name it something different people actually have to show up in you know church basements and school gymnasiums and and run to different corners of the room and be counted and things like that in order for their candidate to win uh in their district anyway um so it's not like you know you did you fill out your ballot did you get it in did you do it absentee it doesn't work that way this is an incredibly different process and the, the, the problem Republicans always have at both primary time and at a general election is turnout. And so turnout is key at the Iowa caucuses. Very well explained. Evan, thank you for your time. Have a great day, sir. You got it. Take care. Yeah, I'd love to have a follow-up question. But he, uh, I mean, the subplot is, who's the alternative to Trump? Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis? And maybe they provide a little clarity to that. Maybe maybe they don't. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Uh, we have Brian Braddock on the line now. Hey, Brian. Hey, good morning, Ken. How are y'all this morning? Hey, Brian. How are you? I'm doing good, Rev. I've been. Uh, I was going to try to call earlier, but I had no reception out putting deer corn out in the woods. So I guess I've traded one addiction for another. And, uh, but I don't think there's a, cu- a cure for deer hunting. No, that's a um, that, that's a that's a healthy addiction. I'll just leave <laughs> it there. <laughs> no doubt. But uh, yeah, I appreciated the uh, discussion. Just wanted to chime in. Um, you know, for for a lot of people, it's not like your son. It, it wasn't a physical or DWs. You know, it wasn't a physical situation. You know, where someone got put on pain medication and then and then became addicted. Um, for a lot of people, they're they're trying to fill a spiritual void with a natural substance. You know, or or unhealthy substance, and so they're looking for joy and peace and fulfillment. And uh, and different things in their life, or they're trying to deal with the stresses of life, and they, like I did, you know, almost 20 years ago, said, "Wow, well, I can take this pill, and and things aren't as bad, you know, or I can I can bump this line, and I can work harder, you know, or I can do this, and and uh, and I can go longer, or I can just get numb." And so, for me, a spiritual path was the only path because that was the problem. I, I needed a daily personal relationship with Jesus Christ to deal with the frustrations and anxieties and and uh, depression and, and just the, the emotions that I was going through in life. And instead of going to the, the one person, 
you know, that could help me, I tried to do it myself through pills. The, the Bible says that, um, I can't remember the verse, but it says, and such were some of you, drunkards, revelers, um, fornicators, meaning that 2,000 years ago, there was faith-based addictions treatment because it says, but such were some of you, but you are, but you are renewed by the blood of the Lamb. You are made new. You are a new creature in Christ. And so we can't. I tell people all the time, I'm not here to to tell people that they don't need depression medication. You know, the brain is an organ. You need medications for that. Addiction does, you know, uh, do things with your your blockers and your receptors. Um, so I'm not one that just says, you know, no medical. I, I believe that is definitely needed in a lot of cases. But in all cases, you cannot ignore the spiritual because we are a spiritual being created by a loving God. And if we don't get that relationship right, nothing else is going to work. Brian, how equipped are we in Florence to care for the uh, for the addicted? What is our moral, ethical, and community obligation. Course, uh, Brian want to point yeah. out he's a city councilman and CEO of the House of Hope. That's Florence. right. I mean, not only is he in the business of helping addicts, he's a, a local politician who allows funds to be spent a certain way. From your perspective, what is our uh, all-encompassing obligation to the addicted? Well, I'll say, and first I want to add to that, that I'm also a recovering opioid addict um, to those um, athletes reps. But I think that our our responsibility is is to love people and to help people and to try to do the best to provide the resources that people need. And so, as a as someone who runs a nonprofit, as someone on city council, we we need to have answers available or support answers um, for these types of issues. And that can be secular, medical, spiritual. Um, to be specific with our need, the biggest issue that we have, Ken, is we do not have affordable detox. There is nowhere in Florence that you can go and you can get affordable detox if, if you have insurance, which a lot of people in their addiction have lost their job and lost their insurance, certainly haven't been praying, paying premiums. You know what I mean? So they can't go and get medical detox at a rate of $15,000, dollars for a week. And, and then you get in this, this trap where you call, a, you call a place and you say, hey, you know, I need, uh, I need help. And they say, well, you got to get detox first. And they can't get detox, you know, so they can't get help. And, and, and they get stuck. And, you know, that's the biggest issue that we have. I'll say long-term treatment as well. We just opened up an addictions recovery center called The Ark at the House of Hope um, to, to, as an inpatient for men struggling with addiction. Um, but there's not a lot of long-term, and this is not an overnight 28-day fix, as you know. You know, it takes 28 days. When I was getting off of my addiction, 28 days for the fog even lifted. You know, I mean, I, I, I still didn't, I was a space cadet. I wasn't sleeping. I didn't know where I was or, you know, what my middle name was. And so this is a really a two-year process where you have to, you got to get them sober, you know, and you got to get them clean. But then you got to deal with all the other issues that came from that addiction that are financial, relationship, uh, physical, mental, dental. 
and uh, so it really takes a, a two-year um, path with a with a huge support system. I feel like for people to get long-term success and victory over their addiction. How can we help, Brian? How can the community help you? I mean, you're in the business and you're and you're a local politician. What can we do? Those of us who aren't in official places of responsibility. I think the general public has to demand of people like me and, and, and people in the medical field and, and people in the secular rehab, we, y'all, people have to demand that we get detox, affordable detox, somewhere where someone can go, you know, $100, $200, $300 a day instead of one, two, and $3,000 a day. And I, and I also believe that awareness is key, you know, that, that I, I, I applaud you and I appreciate you so much, Ken, because there's not, if I'm in a room of a thousand people and I say who in here has been personally, directly affected by addiction, it will be a thousand hands go up, you know, but the, but these folks are not in front of city council like a, uh, a gentleman was not too long ago whose son overdosed on fentanyl. They're, they're not demanding that, the, that we have these resources. And then uh, lastly, I would say support your churches and your nonprofits and, and, and the folks that, that have been there and uh, are trying to help without, without the government dole to do it. You know, we're, we're a nonprofit. We're trying to get some opioid recovery funds. Um, from the lawsuit, but we're we're 100% um, privately funded, and um, and our facilities run by, I would say, 50% of our staff uh, is in recovery. The only one who's not is uh, my previous probation officer, Scott Nutter, who's now our director of our addictions recovery center. Um, but uh, I, I tell people he's a connoisseur of BS, and because uh, he's he's heard it so long that he can sniff out the lies of an addict. So he's He's well-versed, but, you know, we, we just got to be uh, supportive and, and real. And, and if you've been affected or impacted, share your story like you're doing. Share your story and uh, let people know that there is hope. We'll explain. Brian, thank you for your time, my man. Have a good day. I appreciate it, John. Take care. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Councilman Braddock made an interesting comment or, or remark when he said, you know, everybody has this. Ah, spiritual need. I've often wondered, and I don't know the answer to this question. I just wonder these things. Are there really any atheists? I mean, are there really people who have intellectually, philosophically, emotionally worked through that practicality in their lives, that question, that great monumental question in their lives, and have concluded beyond a shadow of a doubt there is no God in heaven? Because that person is the first person that, you know, when stranded in a boat and the motor goes out or in, you know, in, in some sort of military conflict or, you know. Yeah, the death. old saying, there's no atheist yeah. well, in mean, the I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm asking a question. I can't, I mean, I know what I need spiritually. I mean, I, I know that the best fertilizer in my life is spirituality. I mean, there is no doubt about it. I mean, I love to make a little money. I love to be successful on the radio. I love a good meal. I love a cold beer at the beach. I'm sorry, Baptist, I do. I love a good bourbon at the tailgate, but there's nothing that gives me what I need as much as when I need a spiritual fulfillment, and I get that. I mean, it is, it is, the, it is the greatest sensation that I've ever known 
in my life. When God whispers to me, everything's okay. Everything's okay. That is the best feeling that, that I could have ever experienced in my life. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm thinking about the euphoric moments in my life. I would say beating Clemson, but it's been you know, so few and far between. Uh, I've kind of forgot what that sensation I'm being a bit facetious here for a second, making light of a very serious topic, but, but fundamentally, fundamentally, or is there, is there really anybody out there that could consider themselves beyond a shadow of a doubt, an atheist that they have, they have rationalized, they have intellectualized, they have theorized, hypothesis, whatever, whatever. And they've concluded that beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is no God. Cause if you're not that person, there is a void, right? I mean, if, if, if it's inconclusive, if it comes back not complete, it doesn't mean you got an A in spirituality or, or a B in Christianity or Judaism. I mean, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a, a, a burning desire inside your belly somewhere that wants to know whether there's a God or not. Because if that fire's burning intensely or not, you're not an atheist, are you? I mean, if you're not conclusively answered that question, how do you consider yourself a full-blown I'm atheist. So the question I'm asking is, is there anybody out there in the world that has said grace over that debate introspectively and decided beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is no God? And I'm sure of that. I think I, there might be a few like Richard Dawkins comes to mind, but he's one of these, he's one of these people that uh, you see these people all the time that are like v- vehemently against God. But what, is it, it, what does it always come down to? It always comes down to, well, how could a God let bad things happen? That's not, that's not an intellectual response. That's an emotional response. But, it is, it, but isn't it giving God consideration? Yeah, exactly. I mean, just, just the idea of why does, if there was a God, why would he let these things happen? Why would he let an 8-year-old die of cancer? Why would he let a 17-year-old die in a car wreck? Why would he let um, Zach McKay jump over a wall and, and have all these medical issues he's dealing with today? But, but just simply asking, why would a God, if there was a God, aren't you in some measure acknowledging the question that you've not sufficiently answered yet? Exactly. And it's, you, you know, the concept of a God is that they are, by nature, omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. Omniscient means they know all things. So because you're questioning why a God would do something, you're, you're kind of relying on your own knowledge as opposed to accepting that there's things probably beyond your understanding. Imagine that. But, I mean, Josh, Rev, how do you look—I mean, how do you watch a baby born? Or how do you, how do you look out of the expansive—I mean, how do you look at the stars at night and go, it just happened? Right. I mean, just some, some random coincidental, you know— um, comets ran together at 3 million miles an hour, you know, 6 billion years ago. And out of that came, you know, something or other. And yeah, you know, I, I just, that's incredibly far-fetched to me. Whether you believe in God or not, and I don't believe there's a single soul that doesn't believe in, in God. I mean, you may have convinced yourself there's no God, but there's something in your subconscious because you're saying, well, if there was a God, well, why do you even preface your statement with that? I mean, why wouldn't it be, why do young people die? And, and you know, why, why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? I mean, you wouldn't even say, well, if there was a God, 
but 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 even the smartest, even the Richard Dawkins of the world said, well, if there was a God, why would God let good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? But you've already acknowledged. I mean, if you settle that emphatically and without without question, you would just say, why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? But the majority of atheists say, well, if there was a God. And, and I just think that to me, that is that that is a that that is you allowing me to believe. Now, now once again, I'm believing this. I don't have any idea what's in your soul, but you're allowing me to believe. You haven't settled that yet, have you? Right. And it's justification sure. for their argument. Bingo. Bingo. And I think Josh is is onto something. Saying there's no God is liberating. I mean, I get to live to 79.8 years as I choose. I mean, if I want to be a horse's ass, I don't have to answer to anybody. If I want to be a philanderer and, and, and a thief and a rogue, I don't have to answer to anybody. Um, but but if you accept that there's a God in heaven and this ain't the end of the journey and there's some accountability before you go to the other side, I mean, that's quite the proposition. Let's take a break. I know we're running a bit behind. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a second. 843-661-0937. Got a couple of callers. Let's go there. Larry in Darlington. Good morning, Larry. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, you know, this is always a fascinating topic, debate, discussion that, you know, people have been having for, what, many, many centuries. Um, you know, is there a God? Is there not a God? I certainly believe that there is. I, I'm from a Christian background and maintain that model of faith, but um, I guess the only thing I would say, and maybe this has been discussed earlier before I called because it kind of caught the middle or tail end of this discussion, so if I'm repeating somebody, I apologize, but when, when the question is made, if, if there was a God, why do these bad things happen to these good people? Well, you're, you're admitting that there are bad things. You're admitting that there are evil things. You are also admitting that there are good things, good people, and I guess you're admitting that there are, quote, bad people. Well, where, where did that judgment, where did that assignment come from? I mean, what, why is it almost a, a universal agreement and has been for centuries upon centuries as to, generally speaking, what is good and what is bad? What is virtuous and what is evil? Uh, what is good behavior and what is bad behavior? I, I don't think we just kind of made that up. Uh, I think that compass uh, is is given to us um, from our God, and and you know I don't think we've arbitrarily as as a as a, as a species have just kind of come up with well we're going to arbitrarily say this is good and this is bad. Because, again, more often than not, almost universally, universally through the centuries, there's been total agreement, almost, as to what is good and what is bad. And where does that come from? And, and that would be my counter argument, I guess, if I, you know, if you wanted to get intellectual, get into that. But uh, that's all I got. It's a great show. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate that. Josh made an interesting point. What is it that makes me love my family? I mean, wh where does that emotion come from? Is it, I mean, if I were a creation of evolution, if I just all of a sudden, you know, not all of a sudden, if I over an extended period of time um, came about, where did I adopt or adapt these beliefs, right and wrong, love or hate? Um, that's just, I mean, it's a heavy question. 
but I, but I think people have to consider that. And if you consider that, aren't you at least acknowledging the potential existence of a God? Back at a few. So if there's a God in heaven, and I believe there, there that he is, um, we need to all pray to him that health insurance become more affordable. It's gotten too John Brown expensive. Um, if you're over the age of 65, if you are reasonably healthy, and I'm sorry, if you're under, the, I keep saying over. If you're over the age of 65, the government's going to take care of you with Medicare. If you're under the age of 65, you're reasonably healthy, and you feel like you're spending too much on health insurance, you probably are. Call Christian Levis at 839-888-3970. That's 839-888-3970. Or go to the website realchoicehealthcare.com. Legitimate alternatives provided at far more affordable prices than what I'll call traditional um, healthcare-based insurance. Let's go to the phone. Bryce in Florence. Good morning, Bryce. Hey, guys. Um, kind of like your last caller. I just kind of caught the tail end and I heard where the question that how does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Um, one thing I heard that has been life changing is God's real um, goal is only to draw you closer to him. And if the only times he draws you closer or when bad things are happening, um, if that's when you go to him in prayer, that's when you kind of give, give, give everything over to him um, looking for a miracle. Um, then, then you may expect more bad things to happen. Um, what, what we need to do is when good things are happening, um, I mean, show that appreciation. I mean, whether it's through our tithing, through blessing others, or just simply telling him thank you and acknowledging the good that he's given you. Um, if kind of like our own kids, if when things are going good, they say, no, no, dad, I got it. I don't need you. Um, you're proud of them, but you, you kind of feel left out. Um, as their parent and, and um, you hate for bad things to happen to them, but sometimes that's when, when they come to you and, and ask you to be a parent to them. And I think God wants the same thing. So we just need to acknowledge him for the good and the bad. But like, like most humans, when, when things are going well, we think it's all us. When things are going bad, we, we ask him for help. Thank you, Bryce. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937 is our number. Uh, let's go to the phone. Sam and Cross Hill. Good morning. Uh, good morning, fellas. What a great uh, show this morning and, and certainly very thought-provoking as we head towards the uh, celebration of the birth of our, our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife brought a book in and kind of put it on the table, and she said, I, I've, I've read this again, and I, I think you might really enjoy reading this book. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the name of the book is The Shack. And this book, uh, was written in 2017, and I think they went on to make a movie about the shack. But but the short the short story is, uh, this gentleman takes his children on a camping trip, and while on the camping trip, his youngest daughter is kidnapped, uh, taken away. The search begins, and uh, uh, they find out that uh, uh, she was murdered, but they never find her body. And so one day, this gentleman, he's just struggling with this, and he's, you know, asking the question, how, how could God help this, let this happen to him? Uh, and, and so he gets a letter, and he, it's an invitation from God, and he says, come up to the shack. I want to come spend the weekend at the shack. Well, the shack was the place where they determined that her, his daughter was probably murdered. And oh, he struggles with that, and he winds up going. 
and uh, this whole book is about his time spent there at the shack, and he spends time with God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And it's a really interesting read and uh, really gets you thinking about things. And, uh, you know, the just the, the kind of the without, I'll give this part away. Uh, even though his daughter was very brutally murdered, it was very apparent that during that time when that was happening, that that uh, Jesus was right there with her. And so um, it's just an interesting story. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book, The Shack by William Paul Young. Mm -hmm. But anyway, great show this morning. A lot of honesty uh, being revealed today, and it's really, really good. I've enjoyed your show. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate yeah, that. And uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong. I mean, Josh made an interesting point during the break. Um, do we question our belief in God? Yes. I don't, I don't doubt my belief in God. I've never doubted my belief in God, but I question my belief in God. I have a lot of questions. I told Rev, when I get there, you guys got to stand in line because I got a lot of things to run by <laughs> God. Taking up a lot of about time. About this man. earthly existence and experience that I've had to endure at times blessings. And I'm on the top of Mount Everest. At other times, I'm in the valley and I feel like God just left me by the wayside and I'm being punished or penalized for some things that I did. Uh, and I can't understand that. But, but I don't think there's any problem with, with questioning God, with, with having serious concern. Why, why would God allow? I mean, that, that's, I mean that, to me, that's the human limitation. And I think, you know, Josh was talking about a God that understands all. Uh, we don't understand all. And maybe, Red, we talked earlier about elites, uh, you know, uh, the, the highly educated elites from the prestigious uh, Ivy League institutions. Maybe that's why a higher percentage of those people say they're atheist because accepting a God in heaven really puts you in your place. I mean, I, I really believe that. I think once we accept there's a God in heaven, we understand that, that mortals just don't, I mean, we pale in comparison. I mean, even the brightest mind man has ever known. I mean, I don't know who that is. Uh, Einstein would be a popular name. We picked that a lot. Um, in the grand scheme of things, Einstein is, I mean, he, you know, God, I mean, the, 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 the brilliance and genius of almighty God, really? I mean, do you think Einstein's a rival? The smartest man, you know, humans have ever known existed? I mean, that, the absurdity of that. And maybe, m maybe that is why we struggle. Maybe our greatest struggle is our limitations, our inabilities to understand the, the unimaginable. I mean, we, we, we imagine the unimaginable, but we don't understand it by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, you know, we're, we're almost at, what, winter solstice? What, another week or so, maybe a week and a half, and the earth will start its thing, and next thing you know, days will get incrementally longer, you know, by a second or two or three to begin with, and then, you know, 30 seconds or 40 seconds. I mean, who, who believes that? I mean, how does an atheist explain that? I mean, that, that's what I've all, how in the world can you, atheists believe in miracles. And in all honesty, atheists, if there are any sincere atheists, atheists believe in bigger miracles than God-fearing people do. And, and I don't, you know, is, is there something about conservative and liberal? Uh, you know, conservatives are trying to conserve things that have historically worked. So, so Rev and Josh and I are told, there's a God in heaven. You'll never completely understand it, but you got to accept some of the unknowns. So, so we accept that. I mean, we, we accept our limitation. And then you've got liberals who want to, you know, um, 
I don't want to say it's, it's unfair because I told Rev, I'm not willing to go there. I mean, I'm not willing to say liberals don't love God. Um, I've read polling that more conservatives professed a, a spiritual underpinning than liberals. I don't know what to base that on. I mean, I don't have any idea. I know the easy answer. And if I were running for office, it'd be godless Democrats. I mean, if I were asking people to vote for me, Josh is smiling. I mean, I'd put my campaign face on real quick. And I'd say it's those godless Democrats. But, but I mean, I think it's a lot more complicated and complex than that. Let's go to the phone. Anthony in North Carolina, good morning. Hey, fellas. Uh, I'm a little late. On, on, I'm getting ready just once. I see I, I'll give you all a call. Uh, listen to the show. Um, I'm kind of confused. I, I believe some people think that if you don't believe in Jesus, that you are atheists. I mean, there, there are some people that, that just believe in God, and some people that are religious call them atheists because they don't believe in Jesus because Jesus is a Christian God, and they don't believe in Jesus, so people call them atheists. I believe mean, it, it's a big conf- confusion, though, but as far as I'm concerned, I believe there there always been right and wrong and rules or what you should and shouldn't do. It, 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 I mean, some of your call at like humans didn't know about how not to steal or, or not to kill before Christianity came along. Christianity and Muslim are giant to come lately religions that basically did more killing than healing. But people was around on earth for thousands and thousands and thousands of years before Christianity or or Muslim or whatever. And they had laws of the land. They, they didn't go around raping and killing and doing all that stuff. I mean, it's we've been here a real, real long time. And I, me, myself, I believe that God don't care if you are Buddhist or Muslim or Christian. That's your man-made stuff that y'all made up. You're still God's children. That's why you can't tell the difference between uh, atheists or Christians or Muslim or Buddhists by their lifestyle. Some Muslims are rich. Some Christians are rich. Some Christians are poor. Can't get right. I mean, it ain't no religion that bases that how God treats you. So we just, as men, got our own titles. Of, of Muslim, Christian, whatever, but God can understand. He, he treats everybody the same. It, it, it ain't like a whole bunch of people that are Muslims or are Buddhists are getting treated bad in life. If they are, it's because of man doing it, not because of, of God doing it. But I was thinking too about the seven abominations, abominations of God. You know, people use that with the abortions and abominations, whatever, though. But I was uh, checking out, don't ask me why, though, but Sunday morning, one of the preachers was on TV. And I was just sitting here listening to him, whatever. And he was saying one of the seven um, abominations of God is shedding innocent blood. And I was just thinking about all these people over here in Pakistan and Israel that get killed, whatever. That's an abomination. And we got people here that's willing to give money and give the okay to abomination, like what's going on over there. Because God said abortion, abomination, uh, gay, whatever, and, and shedding innocent blood. But um, that's about all I want to say, though. But, oh, yeah, one last thing. A lot of people talk about their religion. They don't even know when, how, or who started Christianity. That's just like in, in, in the future, a race of people are going to be believing in, um, what's that guy named, the little small boy, the sorcery, um, uh, what's his name? You know, all the movies and stuff. Is, is my mind going blank? Harry Potter. People gonna believe that Harry Potter was the way that life created. If they don't ask about who wrote the book, who made the movie, whatever. If all they got in their mind is the movie, same way Christians got all, all they have in their mind is the Bible. Not when did it come along? Who did it? When did it? Why did they do it? Why was Jesus' name changed in the 1600s? 
then you just a uh, flock just following along though. But my question for the day, and I don't wanna go too long, but for your call, I wanna ask this. I ask a lot of people the same question. For my Christian people, being that God uh started with Adam and Eve, being that he destroyed the whole world and had Noah and his family replenish everything. If you're a Christian, then you gotta believe that, you know what I'm saying? Where in the world do different races come from? How do you got a billion people with slated eyes and black hair? All of them. How do you got white people and you got black people? Totally different melons in their skin, totally different DNA and everything. I ask many people this question. Uh, teachers, different people, Christian people, whatever. And I'd love to know if, if you have a, a, a biblical answer or your own common sense answer. If we go all the way back to the biblical days of Noah, everybody else had wiped out. Where do we get different races today in America? All right, so y'all have a good one, man. Thank you, Anthony. Well, Appreciate that. I was thinking about why Anthony's talking to the previous caller. So let's play this hypothetical. I think we can all understand this. I mean, this breaks it down. And let's say that there is no God. I mean, let, let's just let, let's start there. There is no God. I mean, and two comets ran together at 9 million miles an hour, and out of that came ooze and goos and snails and quails and foxes and eventually gorillas and eventually man and woman. Um, so we get to a place in that, in that non-God created world. Let's say the Big Bang is real and God had nothing to do with it. Because I don't think the Big Bang is exclusive of God. I mean, I think God could have been involved. If there was a Big Bang, I think God could have been involved in the Big Bang. I don't know that. I'm just saying I don't think they're necessarily mutually exclusive of one another. But for, for the atheist's sake, let's say there is no God. And, and, and the Big Bang didn't have anything to do with God. And out of that came this, this billion-year evolution. And, and eventually, we ended up as man and a woman. So there are three men. Well, two men and a woman, and they're on top of a mountain. They're the only three men and women on planet Earth, right? I mean, we've evolved. Um, the snail became the quail. The quail became the fox. The fox became the dog. The dog became the whatever. The, you know where I headed. And eventually we got to a primate. The primate became a homo sapien. The homo sapien. See, I know a little bit more about this. Josh is looking at me like, wow, okay. Um, <laughs> he paid attention a little bit in class. Um, I think our PE teacher talked about homo sapiens anyway um so we get to a place in darwin's theory of evolution that's not a theory it's real there is no god darwin was right and there are three human beings on top of a mountain the only three human beings in the world are on top of a mountain and one shoves the other and the third one says you can't do that where did that come from i mean there are three the only three human god doesn't exist Darwin's theory of evolution led to the existence of three human beings. And those three human beings gather on a mountain. And as Josh, Ken, and Dave, and Josh shoves Dave off the side of the mountain. And Ken says to I Josh, like you can't do that. Yeah, sounds great. I mean, you can't do that. Where did that inclination come from? That there's something right. there about right and wrong, right? I mean, there's something there. Where did that come from? I mean, if I don't have a soul and I don't have a, if God's not, if I don't have a spiritual component and spirituality doesn't matter, I would say, well, I'm glad he didn't push me off. I, I, I just think human beings can't be absent of spirituality. I don't think the world can exist if human beings are absent of spirituality. And I think our spirituality is what creates the notions of good and bad. I think it's God-ordained, God-blessed, God-implanted. 
so to speak, in every single one of us. I think the atheist, I think to your point, um, Dawkins had a spiritual compass. I think he did everything in his power to not deal with it and to avoid it, but you're not going to tell me he didn't lay in the bed at night or at times consider the existence of God in heaven. Because once again, if evolution is true and, and the Big Bang had nothing to do with God and there are three people on top of a mountain and one shoves another off the side of the mountain and the third goes, you can't do that. I mean, that's wrong. Where does he get that judgment of that being wrong or not? Let's take a break. We'll be back on the other side. 843-661-0937 is our number. We got it all figured out, don't we, Josh? We do. You and I are godlike. Heck yeah. <laughs> in, our, in our summations. Rev's smart enough to say, there's a guy in heaven and I ain't him. I'll let these two, um, these two intellectual heavyweights named Ken and Josh hash over God's affairs and, and the affairs of <laughs> Glad God. Glad you guys have it figured out. Yeah, well, Rev just says, just those liberals, those godless liberals. I'm with Breeze. Uh, that's what Rev, I'm with Breeze. Just those godless liberals that are destroying America. <laughs> the godless liberals depend on a lot of God-filled people to make the world a better place so they can fund these wonderful programs that they are so fond of mm-hmm. and supportive of. Let's go to the vault. Daphne and Dylan, good morning. Good morning, guys. Quite a great conversation. I would like to tell you that my young Sunday school class, adolescents and young teens, have great minds, and they inquire constantly about what is happening and what has happened. They ask me, why does God allow uh, bad people to keep on doing bad things and good people to suffer. I tell them God created man with free will. He wants them to go to him freely without any pressure so that when they do come, they will be seeking redemption. I said the bad people get opportunity after opportunity to, to change their ways. I said, that's what God does. I said, good people that suffer bad things, he knows they have the strength because they have him in their heart to withstand almost anything that comes along. Uh, Another thing they asked me about evolution, and one little fellow asked me, he said, ma'am, he said, they teach us in school that we came from apes. And, you know, the Bible says God created us. I said, well, you've got to take into consideration that uh, the evolution is a theory by a man named Darwin. I said, if that is true and we evolved from apes, ask yourself, why are there still apes on the planet? if we all evolve from apes. I said, in the climate change thing that Al Gore got put in our schools, ask yourself if climate, if we could control the climate simply by stopping driving cars and whatnot, if we could stop tornadoes and hurricanes and whatnot, why then was there an ice age when there were no cars no humans to pollute. I said, you got to ask yourself questions like that in order to learn. So that was my reply to my Sunday school class. 
Thank you. Thank you, Daphne. Appreciate that. Josh, are you opposed to evolution being taught in public schools? No. I am not either, as long as it's in contrast to creation or intelligent design. I mean, I think that is a – you think about the great debates in education. That should be a fundamental debate. When a kid gets old enough to understand, you know, where he comes from, uh, he's, he's not just some mass of tissue and, and blood and water and whatnot. I mean, there, there's a uh, – there had to be a process for him to end up where he – I don't know what grade that is. Now, I don't have any idea what abilities kids have at third graders, fourth graders, fifth graders. <clears throat> but at some point in time of the formal education process, there needs to be a debate had between evolution and intelligent design and creation and where do we come from? I mean, what, what is this all about? I mean, you know, I'm not talking about Jefferson and Washington and Madison and Hamilton. I'm not talking about founding fathers, which I don't think we teach that anymore, to be honest with you. I'm more talking about where we come from, humanity in general. And, and, and I know people, friends of mine, who says we don't need to be taught that, that heathenish, you know, evolution. No, I mean, teach evolution along with or in contrast to um, create. That would be kind of an interesting debate, Reb. In the ninth grade or the eighth grade, whenever the, the human brain, and is different for boys and girls, I mean, girls develop much faster than boys do. Um, I mean, we talked about addiction a while back. There's a lot of science and addiction that shows a female addict at 24 or five years old is much better equipped to become, you know, to get all pain pills than a 24 or five year old male. Um, their brains develop quicker than ours do. Now ours get bigger and smarter and stronger, obviously in the long run, but I mean, the man is the most intelligent species the world has ever known, mm. but women gain their maximum intelligence in a much quicker period of time than men do. But, but that would be a central debate of education. Um, you know, where do we come from? And if you give kids the opportunity to have that intellectual, as intellectual as they can, debate on what they believe. I mean, can you imagine a kid going home after a science class or whatever class you have it in saying, hey, we debated today intelligent design, creationism, and uh, evolution, and here's some of the points made. Here's, here's where, I mean, it, it equips kids. I mean, there, there's a formal educating of, of a young person who is completely and totally malleable. I mean, they, you know, they're beginning to formulate some of these opinions they have and, and worldviews. Um, and I don't think we can wait until they get to Yale or Harvard because I hate to say this, I think there's intent there to skew the debate. And, you know. You think? Well, I mean, of course there is. <laughs> Uh, somebody on the phone? Let's go there. Jeff and Florence. Hi, Jeff. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, you know, this, uh, it has to be this or that is, is killing, uh, the, the idea that they can coexist. Um, let's be honest, intelligent design, um, it's just a way to, uh, break down evolution, but what an evolution the theory of evolution is against God. I don't think anything is. It isn't. I mean, God's a mathematician. The laws of physics exist. Nobody denies them, right? They were written by the creator. You know, Galileo said that God's the greatest mathematician that ever existed. You look at the orbital mechanics, you look at how a, the math of how a sun forms, 
you look at how the universe is created, no doubt there was like a, a creator. But why would he do something so different for man? Why would he do anything different for a fish than he would do for the creation of stars? I mean, I agree with that. Given time, well, I, I, I'll, I'll agree with that, except, except man. I, I mean, I think God created man in His image, okay. and 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 I think God. I don't want to say. I mean, this, this is weird to say. God paid attention to the details a little more with man than He did some of the other mastery or, or master works of creating the heavens and earth and the universe. But when God is created in the image of when it, man is created in the image of God, is it the five fingers and, and I, I don't know that. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't have any or idea. It, or is it his mind, his ability to reason, his, I, his ability to see good versus evil? I think it's his ability to reason. That's I, what God created that's different in man than every other life form we've ever met. Well, I, I, our, our, yeah, I mean, we reason more than any other animal. Animals reason to some degree. But they don't reason the way man does. No, they 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 can't distinguish the good versus the evil. They can't make a a choice based on what's not good for them. Right? Agree. Like man, a man will make a decision against his own interest to help his fellow man. Animals don't do that necessarily like we do. Um, so it's to say that uh, we shouldn't be teaching evolution. Um, I don't think I said that. No, I know you didn't. I, I'm, I'm absolutely saying no. I, I, okay. I, I understand that. I'm just saying this debate we're having, you know, like it's God, God works through science. And, and I love this debate. It's a good philosophical debate. But it, it, it doesn't have to be, well, we have to teach intelligent design next to evolution if we frame the conversation right. Like, why can't we teach that evolution is a tool of God? I I don't think I, I mean, I, I'll agree with you. I, I think we can, I think absolutely we can, but, but I think the, the one thing it's a theory, it's a theory of evolution. Um, Darwin's not the only person to ever have a theory of evolution. There are other, a part of the most famous theory of evolution because it was adopted into our public education. But I've always felt that the big bang and evolution could have been a part of God's plan. I don't know. I don't, I don't profess to have the answer to that. But but I think as we search for answers to exclude the Big Bang from the beginning and an evolution from Adam and Eve, you're, you're placing limitations on God that I just don't agree with. Well, I mean, it, it, I, I don't see it that way. I mean, like, um, if uh, the, the creator um, set the universe in motion, what was the end game? It was man. You know, it was intelligent life. Do I, is there intelligent life on other planets? Of course there is. I mean, be foolish to think that this whole thing was created for just us. Um, but I'll say that um, when I hear, like, the climate change, right? Like, what, just what, of, what do you base uh, that certainty on? You're, I mean, you, you're certain that he didn't create this universe just for us. Doesn't the Bible say there are other houses in my kingdom? Yeah. My father's yeah. kingdom? But that's an what interpretation. That? I mean, everybody doesn't share that interpretation. Right, but, but what is it referencing then? Well, I mean, I, I would imagine, I mean, my, my, my thought is always believed, uh, believed uh, kind of a reference to the galaxy. 
the heavens and the earth. Right, but what's in a house? Human beings. Or intelligent life. Yeah, well, human beings. Some are intelligent, yeah. conservatives, and then well, you've, got, I mean, you've got those liberals but, but, who so, we all struggle so with. But way, it, so the way it works with evolution is you're not going to find another human anywhere else in the universe. <laughs> the, the evolution doesn't allow recreation of, like, the circumstances of the environment dictate what the life looks like. Why, why would God need to have other life on other planets? I mean, I get that he could, but why would he need to do that? I mean, it's a, I mean, wouldn't you say that this is a grand experiment for God? Uh, his plan. I mean, I don't, I don't yeah. know that God experiments much. I mean, if he knows the beginning and the end, he already knows how it plays out. So it's his plan. You don't think you don't think that uh, the New Testament's a reset? Ah, uh, yeah. Having I mean, then God was a or Jesus back down. Yeah, was, was did, did Jesus only come to Earth, or did Jesus go? Did God send Himself in human form in some of these other faraway places that you talk about? Well, I, I believe that God, uh, in certain situations, dictate different responses, and I and I believe He has that ability to to make that decision uh man was definitely uh in need of jesus wouldn't you say correct yeah the others maybe get it right the first time maybe but we clearly needed help <laughs> fair enough and that's one yeah well that's... anyway good discussion today yeah thank you jeff appreciate it my man um i've often wondered that if there is other life in other planets or in other galaxies when, when, when God sent Jesus, I mean, if you're a Christian, you believe that God sent Jesus as a sin atonement to save the world. Were the other worlds that God created and allowed to be inhabited by some sort of mortal being, did they need, um, Jesus? Uh, wow. I mean, we're, we're really, 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 um, asking a lot of the human mind. Take a break back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. <laughs> so so our, our discussion during the break there, share with the listeners what uh, I think we both picked up on during uh, Jeff's call a few minutes ago. Well, I mean, I, I, Jeff made a lot of very valid points. Sure. and it was an interesting was, discussion. But he was real damn sure of himself. Very sure of, uh, of what God meant, what God intended, what God excluded, what he included, what he was up to. Uh, the majority of previous or prior call, and I think that's the difference in liberals and and conservatives. I, I really believe that. I, I think there's a fundamental personality complex that that a lot of liberals have about the the self assuredness they have and what they believe in. I'm a little envious of that because I'm not sure what God meant. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not. I don't have any degree of certainty for or against aliens on other planets. I, I just don't. I mean, if somebody said, "Hey, are there aliens on other planet?" You know what my answer is. Oh no, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't have any Might certainty be. at all whether they are or are not aliens on other planets. I don't have any idea what God did. God create the heavens and the earth exclusive of the Big Bang or not, inclusive of the Darwin theory or the evolutionary theory or not. I don't know that. But I think if you ask liberals, there's a certain assuredness they have in what they believe. They're convinced that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And the majority of calls that led up to that were, they included things like, I believe 
I think, I suspect, I'd like to believe, I'd like to think, I'd like to suspect, but but once again, um, Jeff is our good liberal friend and a great call. I've been a great call and a great contributor to this radio show. But but the difference in Jeff's call and everybody else's was how sure of himself he was about, you know, knowing the infinite wisdom of God. And I ain't got there yet. Let's go to the phone. Tim and Pamplico, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. How are y'all this morning? Hey, Tim. Hey, all right, now, years ago, and I was, um, well, no, let me start at this. So there was a big bang, right? And it made the, the, this ball of gas. And then this ball of grass gradually cooled off. And it started, and then you had a little soup forming on the on the top. And then a little bit of this soup decides, well, some of it became fishes. Some of it became an animal. Some of it became a man. Soup. You came from soup now. Um, so all these things came, different things came from this primordial soup. Really? Um, so, all right. So now we got along in the soup. We're moving along. We're moving along. And some of it's actually swimming. Some of the soup's actually swimming some things in the soup. We're going to call them a fish, for lack of a better term. Um, fish gets eaten by another fish. What happened to that fish right there? He got it. His evolution just stopped. There's no more evolution. If that fish didn't have an eyeball, he can't evolve no more eyeball. All right, so if you keep eating the fish, where did the eyeball even come from? This was Darwin's major hang-up. He could not explain the eyeball. They cannot still explain the eyeball. They think it come about, well, it got a little spot on the side that was, you know, um, 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 sensitive to light. And then that sensitivity to light gradually evolved into an eyeball. Now, did you get one eyeball? Did you get two eyeballs? Um, did that fish get eat, and then all of a sudden that eyeball's evolution end? Or did the next eyeball's evolution begin? All right, so you can get into all of that. But I think it goes against strictly what the Lord has set down in his word. He said in the beginning was he. And he created all of these things in six or seven days and then created man, you know, in this time period, because I'm not going to, you know, read it verse by verse right now. But and it therefore evolution goes against the word of God. God was talking to Moses and said, this is what I did. If there would have been a communication gap between God and Moses, he would have said, well, Moses, this is what I've done, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But, no, he set it down. And this would stand, if we had that today, you would state that's an affidavit that would stand up in court because it was getting given from one witness to another and recorded with his name and, and so forth. But, see, people don't want to believe that. They want to believe what their little minds want to believe, so therefore they can't, don't have to answer to God, don't have to fall on their knees to realize that he, you were created for a reason and a purpose and that he has put you here for a reason and a purpose. A lot of people short-circuit these things, his, his reasons and purposes all the time. That's the free will. But if, he, if we would follow him and, and try to be at least acknowledge acknowledgement people would be way further ahead of the game they would they would gain wisdom daddy told me i was a little tiny fellow we were in miami then he was just beginning to be an air traffic controller and i was in kindergarten school something like that he said son in school they're going to teach you that you uh you got to learn some things and you're going to have to pass your courses in school i want you to do good in school 
it was kind of one of these little father-son, you know, little talk. He didn't have many of them with me. But he said, son, let me tell you something. You didn't come from no damn monkey. He was abdomen about that we did not come from a monkey, evolved from a monkey. Because, see, again, it goes back, why aren't we still evolving from a monkey? Why aren't monkeys evolving? Why isn't a, a, a man all of a sudden walking out the wilderness in Africa that said, man, I was a monkey yesterday. You know what I mean? But anyway, it's just Tim's little spill of it, you know. I just wanted to kind of get it out there. And uh, if you have any questions about creation, all you got to do is go to the Bible and use some reason and ask for wisdom. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's where I go. And I try to understand it. I try to discern it. I try to interpret it. Uh, sometimes I go to others who have studied it far more than I have. Do I have a, an understanding of this? Do I need to work on this? Um, in the beginning, you know, God created the heavens and earth. I believe that with every fiber of my being. How? I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I honestly am not. But in the spirit of giving, we're talking about faith and, and religion. There's something inside of all of us that wants to help our, our fellow man. We had some issues with our website, but we believe, am I right, Rev? We think we've got it fixed. I hope so. We changed the link around a little bit, so hope it's a little bit more We're trying reliable. to honor one of the most generous men Rev and I have ever known by raising money for six anonymous families in the name of Mr. Frank Avant, Pepsi of Florence, has jumped on board and helped us as they always do. We need your help, and we believe we're behind because the website wasn't functioning as needed. $20, $2, $200, whatever you can give, Rev will tell you how you can make a donation. Go to live953.com, live953.com, and look for the, the flipper, the slider that comes up for Season of Giving. And then click on that. It'll take you. Just follow your way through to make your contribution. And we do appreciate any support you can give. Enjoy your day.